right, welcome to this week's edition of The Wandering Wizard. I am one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me on this week's episode is my co-host. Wait, am I Sketchy Richie on this? Or I don't not? know. That is up for you to decide, my friend. I will be Sketchy Richie on this, too. Ooh, Sketchy Richie is joining us for the first time on The Wandering Wizard. Here he is. Well, you know things are going to get interesting when Sketchy Richie is in the house. Describe our recording conditions right now, Josh. <laughs> we are currently uh, draped with large blankets to help with our audio. We are literally uh, sitting under <clears throat> some quilts here. Yeah, we are on our ways to, to getting <clears throat> some kind of sound booth or something like that. Um, we're always working on our audio. and we've, So I've actually, this is what he's pieced together in the meantime. Yeah. Well, I found that it has definitely improved my audio quality, I feel like, on every episode. So this week I put Richie wrapped up in a blanket. He looks like E.T. wrapped up in a blanket I mean, right now. I think it's confirmation bias at this point, but <laughs> I, think you, I think you're reading into reading something into it, like the audio levels, like you're hearing something that's, oh, maybe it, it's, it's got to be better. It's under the blanket, but you heard it's not it, really. You heard it yourself. You know it sounds better. Unfortunately, I did. But yeah. yeah, you're right. Okay. Yep. yep. See, it does sound better. But uh, on this week's edition of The Wandering Wizard, Richie and I are going to be discussing, drumroll please, The Rings of Power. The Rings of Power. Episodes one and two. Um, We're going to give our takes on the episode. Richie, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Um, We've been talking about it for like a year. I almost called off work. Yeah, you almost called off work. I did. Uh, But we've literally been talking about this for like a year. We've been waiting for it. It's here now. Um, last Thursday, they dropped the first two episodes. The yep. third episode comes out a few days from now on Friday. And we're going to go ahead and jump into a review of the first two episodes and what we thought about it. And uh, so hope you guys are looking forward to this. I've purposely not said anything on social media or anywhere else because I just have so much to say about Rings of Power. Like, so much more than I can say in a face- Facebook post or over Instagram, yeah. or even on Discord. Like, I've dropped a couple nuggets here and there in our Discord on the Sword and Staff multiverse, but for the most part, that's only just scratching the surface. I have a lot, a lot to say about it. I have a lot of thoughts about it. A lot of things I like, a lot of things I really don't like. Um, so my, my review on this is going to be very complex and nuanced. I think I'm going to be a lot more charitable Yeah, wow. with my review on this. Wow. Like, and I thought I was going to be the worst critic on it, but I'm, I think I've got a lot more grace to give it than what you have yeah. at this point. Yeah, probably so. Um, I'll, let's just start off with what we thought about uh, the, episode, the two episodes in general. Let's give it a rating. Um, out of what? A, a, B, C, D, E, F. Oh, you're not, it's not oh, no, numerical. No, no, just... no E. A, B, C, D, E, F. <clears throat> Let's go old school, right? Like how they used to give grades back in school when we were there. Oh. I don't even know if they do that anymore. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's been a while. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, with uh, Common Core Math and, you know, all that stuff, they might have done something different with letters now, so I don't, I don't know. But, um, but anyway, so here's my thoughts on it. I will give the first two episodes a C. I give it a C. Not to give it a B minus. You're going to give it a B minus? Yep. Okay. Well, you're not too far off. You're a little bit on the brighter side than I am. Um, but I give it a C. Cinematically alone, I yeah. think it deserves a little bit higher than that. Yeah. I mean, it is beautiful cinematically. Yep. Um, but yeah, I give it a C. Richie gives it a B minus. And we'll get into the reasons why we arrived at those places. We'll talk about the and things. given that's just the first two episodes. Right. I yeah, mean, yeah. it could absolutely tank and fail by the end of this thing. So... Or it we'll could have, get a lot better. Or it could get a lot better, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll talk about why we arrived at those conclusions. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the things we liked. We'll talk about the things we didn't like. Um, we'll probably even answer some objections that's kind of been seen out there. Yep. Um, 
in uh, you know on social media because I've probably got things to say in this episode that's probably going to make like the Tolkien trads. Yeah, and, I've seen the, you. I've seen you've sent me screenshots of people's takes on things, and you've been back and forth. Yeah, and the on Tol- things like that. I've also got things that are probably going to make the Tolkien progressives mad too. Yep. And I'll just I'm just going to say this, um, and this isn't the case with everybody, but I'm pretty sure that most of the people that I see online have never spent any significant time reading Tolkien, like. I'm basically convinced of that at this point. Oh, yeah. It's pretty clear. I think that they have spent time watching Peter Jackson, which I get it. That was my way into Tolkien as well, was was Peter Jackson's films. But after that, I I graduated on to actually reading Tolkien. It's probably just laziness, to to be honest, because, I mean, are you really going to make the time investment to dig into Uh, the Silmarillion when you can... Like, yeah, we'll get bits and pieces just from watching the movie. Oh, have you ever seen the history of Middle Earth? I mean, the big three, ginormous three volumes. I mean, I've got some of it here. Um, I don't have all of it, but I've, I've got all of it except I think it's the last one or maybe it was the first one. I can't remember. I'd have to go look, but I've got all of it except, uh, one volume and that's it. And, uh, it is daunting. I mean, so I don't expect everybody to plow through that, but not everybody's me either. And so <laughs> not everybody, not everybody's uh, as an ambitious reader as I am or, or as a nerd like I am. So I can't expect everybody else, but uh, here's the problem. I think that whenever we don't do that, um, we see things and we think that they're problematic. They're actually not as problematic as we think we think they that they are. Yep. Or um, if we don't read it, then we start taking liberties that we shouldn't take. Um, and I've seen that I think on both sides. And I think so a lot far. of people have to take into context what these people actually had rights to and what they did not. And given that, I think the rating of this deserves to be a lot higher than what you gave us. The I like think they given what they've what they have. Yeah. I think that I mean they were paddling upstream from the get go. Like they they yeah. had to really struggle to piece this thing together to tell this story i think that you think that that was a worthy endeavor yeah i think that on my end i'd say i mean it's just too going ambitious. back what i say would i want them to not do this without the silmarillion yeah absolutely I'd, I'd want them to wait to fight for it see if you can get the rights to do it yeah but i don't know maybe if the, if you're never going to get those rights i yeah. mean do you just let it go untouched? I mean, I would have personally. I just, I would have. There's I don't too, know, especially there's too with much. people combating for the rights to Lord of the Rings to make more projects with that. I mean, yeah, you'd think if 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 somebody with a smaller budget is going to take on this content eventually, would you rather the smaller budget people do it, or would you rather yeah. Amazon spend a billion dollars on the first season? Those are good questions. Those are good questions. Take a swing on it. Um, yeah, I think that we got to talk about that right at the outset. What? Um, what Amazon has rights to and what they don't, because yep. that is playing a huge part in the show. Um, because you see people... I think there's a lot of confusion on that, too. Oh, 100%. I heard people like, oh, they're ruining the Silmarillion, or they're ruining this and that. It's like, they, they don't they literally have rights to that. They literally do not have rights to the Silmarillion. And actually, that'll probably get us into some of the episode stuff here. Um, when the first episode starts off, oh, man, it's my favorite scene. It's my favorite it is. scene. It's absolutely it's, beautiful. It's, it's, I've watched it three times so far. It's moved me to tears all three times. Very Edenic looking. It's it's moved me to tears all three times that I've seen it. And it's the opening scene with a, you know, a young Galadriel and you know she's making a ship that her older brother taught her how to make and you know the kids throw rocks at it. Dude, she's making more than a ship. This thing has sails that unfold and I mean as yeah. it goes down the waterway it's yeah. pretty looks epic. Of, it looks like one of the class it looks like a throwback to some of the uh, Ted Nesmith art out there of like the uh, the the art for the Elder oh on ships. the co- on the covers of yeah. the books uh, yes it, it, looks, it does yeah, it, it really looks, does it looks like yeah. A, yeah it looks like a version of that it looks like a nod to that um, which I really liked um, that's not the part that I really really liked about it 
the part that I really, really liked about it was whenever Galadriel's brother comes onto the scene and he kind of takes her aside at the end of the scene and he's kind of passing on some wisdom to her. And um, I actually would like to pull up the quote here. Um, it's going to take me a minute because I didn't well, actually... Why you find that quote? Do you want to talk about her brother? And you brought up something that I didn't even notice until you said so, that they didn't mention his name. Yeah. Right you know, off the bat. Yeah, we can actually, uh, we can actually talk about that. Um, give me just a second here. Um, I'm pulling this up real Cause quick. Because that's something I didn't even pay attention to. Like, in my mind, it automatically filled in the blanks, so they didn't have to mention his name. Yeah. And the why that they didn't mention his name is very interesting. Well, okay, yeah. So whenever you see Galadriel's brother roll up on the scene, you assume it's Finrod. Yeah. Um, which is a which is a good fill in the blank. Um, but you notice that it actually doesn't say his name. Like Galadriel just refers to him as my brother. And the reason why is because I'm pretty certain, um, if I'm not mistaken, now somebody can correct me on this. Um, Amazon has rights to the appendix uh, the appendices at the end of Return of the King. That's uh, there's several several appendices in there. Um, most of the tales of the years, um, the chronology of the Westlands is in Appendix B and it's very short. Um, but it's in there. They have those, they have the rights that they have no rights to anything else. They do not have rights to the Silmarillion. They do not have rights to unfinished tales. They do not have rights to the history of Middle Earth. They don't have the rights to Children of Hurin, Baron and Luthien, all of that. Okay. They don't have rights to any of that. Literally all that they have is the appendices. That's interesting. Oh, and I know an, I just, it really brings it to another point that we'll mention later on. And I think it's in episode two. Mm. Might be episode one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, where they've uh, allowed your mind to fill in the blanks with some of that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so you see Galadriel's brother roll up and you notice that she just refers to him as my brother. Yep. Um, or brother, you know. And the reason why is because I'm pretty certain that Finrod's name is not mentioned in the appendices at the end of Return of the King. Now, somebody can j- double-check me on that. I'm looking at it right here. It's in front of me. I'm looking at Appendix B. I've kind of skimmed through it a little bit in preparation for this episode. Um, I'm, cer- I'm pretty sure. I'm not certain. I'm pretty sure that he is not mentioned in it. He is mentioned in those other works, and that's the reason why that they do not mention his name or call him by it's name. It's pretty clever, though, because... To any Tolkien fan, who knows? Like, who knows? You're going to fill in the blanks. Like, you don't need her to say it. Yep. Like, you know. Yep. Um, but anyway, um, my favorite scene is, you know, he's talking to her and uh, he, you know, he gives this. Is quote. that also the reason why they don't show him dying by the wolf? That's, well, and it's also the reason why it, it doesn't show him. Like, they can just show you the claw marks on his body and you're, and you're left to infer that. Like, you piece that together in your mind, you fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, well, it's also the reason why um, you don't... So in the, in the books, he also kind of like lays down his life. Um, he's, he's in the, the bottom of Sauron's uh, castle, um, and he, he light, lays down his life to basically protect Baron. That's the reason why you don't hear of Baron in the story either, because they don't have rights to Baron and Luthien. Or the stories that are in the other works that, that talk about this as well, and so it's the re- that's the reason why they do- they literally do not have the the the, the rights to it. But um, there's uh, I'm looking I'm gonna have to log into my Facebook to find it because I posted it on there. Um, but anyway, so they're up on the hill, um, they're underneath a tree. Yep. Right, and they're overlooking um 
I'm assuming that's that's Valinor. And as they're there, you know, young Galadriel is asking her brother, um, well, I'm just waiting on my phone to load up here. My daggone internet's so slow here in the boonies. Um, you know, she's talking to him, and he's passing on some wisdom to her. And here's what he says. Here's the quote. Do you know why a ship floats and that a stone cannot? Because the stone sees only downward. The water, the darkness of the water is vast and irresistible. The ship feels the darkness as well, striving moment by moment to master her and to pull her under. But the ship has a secret. For unlike the stone, her gaze is not downward, but up, fixed upon the light that guides her, whispering of grander things that the darkness ever knew. I really, really loved this quote. This is my favorite quote so far in the whole show. And the reason why, and I've had people ask me, like, that felt like they were trying too hard to be Tolkien to me, and it didn't come across as very Tolkienian. I thought that that was one of the most Tolkienian lines. I didn't have a problem with it at all. Uh, Like, I thought it was really good. Yeah. um, You know, I had a guy say that the quote... Um, you know, sounded great, but it absolutely made no sense. He said, stones and ships can't see. Um, and I, I think that we're, we, uh, yeah, that was an argument that somebody that's actually... The, that's the argument stones point. And, I'm like, you have to understand that um, this is allegorical, poetic, say. anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic language. Of course, um, ships don't see. Of course, rocks don't see. But yeah. the Bible talks this way all the time. Like, I mean, think about it. God is a mighty fortress. Is, fortresses can't see. Fortresses aren't omniscient. They're not yep. omnipresent. But it says that God is like a, a fortress. Why? Well, because a fortress is impenetrable. You, you can't take down the walls of, of, a, of a mighty fortress. Um, it protects those who are within it. It's a refuge to those who are within it. It uses language like this in other places, like God is a rock. Yep. Like, rocks don't see. Like That's the point that the person's making. But but yeah, it says that God is like a rock. And why is it? Do- it's, it's, again, it's, 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 uh, it's allegorical, anthropomorphic style language. Yeah. Um, it is, it is, God is like a rock in that he is unmovable. Um, he's solid. You can stand on a big rock and it doesn't move. You can actually build your house on rocks. Um, solid ground. I mean, it's, right? it's just a, a very detailed oriented way to tell, to tell a story. And to make a point, I mean, it reminds me of Jesus uh, teaching with the parables. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that people are just looking at this and they're just overly, just overly critical. They are. You like, know? it reminds me of the Star Wars fandom. Mm-hmm. Like, they're re- they always are looking for something to hammer it with, to hammer it about. Yeah. Another thing that I also loved about the quote was that they get the biblical symbolism of water right. Like, he says that it's dark and it's yeah. vast. Like that's that's the waters in Genesis one. Like they're dark, they're vast, they're in, even in other ancient near east uh, near eastern religions, they're chaotic, and they need order brought to them, right? Um, so that's right. Like that's spot on. Like whoever did this knew the symbolism of water, yep, and that it's trying to master the things that have order, right? Like the boat, right? Um, so I really love that quote. It's also a very medieval idea, right? Like. That everything, uh, everything has a place, and it's not necessarily gravity that pulls it down, but it's, it's, uh, y- you know, it's everything is is returning to the place that it's supposed to belong. Everything is wanting to return to the one, you know, that kind of thing. And it's it's there present in this. That kind of idea is present in this. Um, the rock goes to the place that it loves. It's going down, yep. down, right? 
but the ship doesn't. Um, it's focused on the light that guides her, which is a very, um, it's a very, uh, it's just, a, it's very, um, there's a theological thing there, I think. Uh, being guided by the light. Yep. Um, being guided by God, right? And I think that, I think that that quote's spot on. And I think it's, so I think that it's, the symbolism of it is right. Like, I think that um, it's even medieval in some ways. Which yeah, this in, whole by, thing of looking to the heavens. Yeah, and by, yep. by extension, it's very Tolkienian, because <clears throat> Tolkienian is a medievalist. Yep. So I love that quote. That, it's, it's move, that whole scene, and then whenever he walks off, and he steps up on top of the mountain, and you see the glimpse of... This. Oh, when I saw him turn around, and I seen what the back side of him yeah. looked like, uh, it instantly hit me, okay, this is... This is that scene. It's about to happen yep. from yep. that still image we first mm-hmm. saw. The very, the very first image we had released. Um, this is, and he stands in front of Valinor, and the music just climaxes, right? It is just beautiful. It is, uh, this is one, this, I, whenever I said I think that there are some things in the show that's beautiful, this is what I'm referring to. Yep. Uh, I mean, the cinematography, the scene itself, um, the, uh, the, the setting, all of it is just absolutely beautifully done and then i feel like that it goes significantly down from there <laughs> i remember you said that like it just goes down here from and, here and I, I was like i saw it and i was like yes i was like this is going to i remember saying to my wife i said oh wow this is going to be significantly better than i thought that it was going to be and then afterwards i felt like it just took a big nose dive like, You're like I, it's just don't get me wrong. I think but that to be fair, though, I mean that's that's an awful big emotional scene to set you up for up yeah. with right off the bat, and then you know you're just left with the sort of the mundane moments of the storytelling. Like you're you're not even to any big significant events yet. It's just like yeah. building foundations and yeah. show, uh, introducing characters. After so, that, we see the destruction of the two trees of Alinor. Yep, right, briefly, uh, briefly. Um, and there's something to notice about that too, which plays into what we've been talking about the rights here. Um, you see this shadow over top of it, which is supposed to be Morgoth. Um, but you notice that Ungoliant uh, is not there. Why is Ungoliant not there? They don't have the rights to that story. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, in the story, doesn't uh, Morgoth stab the trees? And then Ungoliant, uh, he sort of eats the, the light and the light force from it. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I'm pretty sure that's how it unfolds. But... Um, the reason why it's different in, is because they don't have the rights to it, and so they yep. have to display it in a certain way. But I think that they did a great job with that whole section in letting you fill in the blanks. Oh, like, yeah. You're just, like, oh, this, just, this brother's Finrod. Yeah, just that uh, menacing shadow being human-esque in its shape, like you automatically know, okay, okay, that's Morgoth. Well, anybody that's associated with Silmarillion, anything like that, would know that that's who that is. Yep. And then after that, we see... The death of Finrod. Yep. Or Gladriel's brother. And honestly, I think these things that they've, they've had to leave blank for you to fill in the blanks, I think for somebody that's not a, a, a familiar with Silmarillion or yeah. any of the backstory, they, it probably doesn't matter if they, if they know what that is or not. Well, to, them, probably, it's, to them, it's a new story. Yeah. So, I mean... For some of them, I think it's going to drive them to the works. Yeah. You know? I think it's definitely fan service when, that, they're, that they made the attempt yeah. to make these... These points of crossing easier, like for your mind, like okay, you know that that's Finrod, or you know that this yeah. is Morgoth. Yeah. Then after that, we see the death of of uh, Gladriel's brother, and he's got this mark on him. Basically, she says that he died hunting Sauron, and 
she's picking up her brother's mantle and it shows her picking up the, the dagger that we've seen multiple times, you know, from, from his hands. And this is where I really start. We to need dislike. that dagger, by the way. <laughs> um, maybe we can get our friend David. I was going to say, let's shout him out right um, now and tell him we need. Maybe we can have him make us a way cooler version of it yes, because he was we, not happy with the with the, yes. the the weaponry. We need some Elvis weaponry, which he does that for a living. That's yep. what he does for a living. And they actually reached out to him at the beginning of this. Um, he's told this now, so I'm sure that I was going to say, yeah, I think he uh, said it out loud before. Yeah. Um, so they actually reached out to him at the beginning to help possibly look into making the weapons, and uh, it just didn't work out. But uh, he's he's looked at the weapons, and he actually got to see the premiere of it in New York. And uh, one of the things that he came back with was he was not a fan of the weapons and the costumes and the armors and that kind of stuff. He said that they thought he thought they looked very cheap, and it, uh, the, the, they are very underwhelming for to have such a massive budget. I mean, just seeing what Peter Jackson could do with the weaponry, the the armor, like to make it so unique and stylized to the races. Yeah. So, I mean, for these people to have like this billion dollar budget, I mean, I, that's one of the things I was really disappointed with. Yeah. So uh, we see we see the death of Gladriel's brother. She says he dies hunting Sauron, and she picks up his his uh, in vengeance and in anger. She picks up his uh, picks up where he leaves off hunting Sauron, and this is where I really don't like this. And this is where I think that it's too ambitious. Um, and here's why: like that's not Galadriel's story. Like Galadriel's not hunting Sauron. Um, Galadriel is basically trying to flee the doom that was pronounced upon her by the Valar. Uh, I mean, because she was a part of um, Fenway's, uh, or no, sorry, not Fenway's, but F- uh, Feanor's, um, you know, kinslaying. Um, now, like she, there's uh, there's stuff out there in uh, Unfinished Tales. Like she wasn't totally convinced, but uh, to follow him, but she followed him because what she wanted was she wanted a realm to rule herself. That was her whole thing. She wanted yep. a realm yep. to rule, um, and um, it that's just why given, she does just the given she that does. point right there. Yeah. Just seeing her character arc unfold, even in uh, Lord of the Rings, yeah. you see how much of a big point that is when she acts absolutely rejects. Yeah. The ring in the end. It's a huge part of her storyline. Yep. It's a huge part of her character arc because, like, she sets out wanting this realm of her own. She wants power, and then... Well, this is going to get us into the second episode a little bit, too, and I guess we'll just bounce back and forth yeah. here on some of it. But you see her... Um, or maybe it's in the first episode. No, it is in the first episode, later on. She rejects the, the Valar, the, the opportunity to go back to the Undying Lands. Yep. She dives off the ship into the Sundering Seas, right? Okay, well, she does reject the Valar's offer for forgiveness and to go back. Like, she does do that. Not in, in the way that they portray it, like by diving into the waters and all that. That's not how it happens. Yep. But she does it because she wants a place to rule herself. She wants power is what she wants. Um, yeah, you, you hear the, her reasoning for it. Even She starts to think about it when she's talking with Elrond, talking about the song that she will hear going to the Undying Lands. Like it, Just that song would be a mockery to the cries of her brother. Like, yeah. Like it, there's unfinished work that she's got to take yeah. on. And so in this one, it's not that she wants a realm to rule. It's yep. that there's unfinished business to do, and they're too cowardly to do yep. it. Which I don't like. And I'm not a fan of that. Another point of that, when it, the, she's tracking Sauron in, uh, in that ice cave, mm-hmm. after she fights the troll, ah. and they're like, if you go, you go, you go, like basically alone. They all, all the men lay down their weapons. Yeah. Like, and she just pushes on. Yeah. It's, I, I was not a fan of that. Um, 
like they just like even though they find a mark there, it's the same mark that's on yep. Galadriel's brother, uh, and they find that, that there was an orc there who had basically been uh, dabbled with. Um, with the, like, with do you do you find it problematic that uh, the ice troll? was basically uh, throwing the entire legion of, of elves around like ragdolls until Gladriel shows up on the scene and just takes him out like with little effort. Yes and no. Yes and no. Like to me, it came off very, like I couldn't th- help but think about Rey from Star Wars. That's okay. I was like, okay, Rey shows up as this Jedi Master level Rey with no training, no backstory. Like that's how it felt to me. Yeah. Even though I know Gladriel is like... yeah. It felt very Marvel to me, yeah. especially the jump part. I didn't, I was not a fan of how that was portrayed. But let me say this, to be fair, like everybody's been crying out against Like I understand this. Galadriel is a very powerful being. I mean, she is. Well, the thing that I've been seeing is they're like, this is a feministic moment. And like the fellowship themselves basically gets dominated by a troll in yeah. fellowship in Moria. But Galadriel takes out a troll by herself. Well, you know, to be fair here. Let's keep in mind who Galadriel is. Yeah, I was going to say, lay that out. Backstory. <laughs> like, she, okay, Galadriel, she's, she's of the Noldorian lineage. Yeah. Uh, she was the granddaughter of Fenway, who was created by Ero Luvatar himself. Okay, like literally created by the yeah. god of, of, of Arda. Uh, so she, she's like one generation away from the original elf. Like she Literally. Is, yeah. Uh, she's born under the light of the two trees of Valinor. Um, she was actually said in Tolkien's work to be the greatest of the Noldor just behind Fëanor. And just to be fair, she was not like the others in the Fellowship, including Legolas, who was just a simple sylvan elf, as much as a beast as he was, okay? Like, like, if you put Legolas up against Galadriel, it's not even a match. I'm sorry, and that's that's not me siding with the feminist. Yeah. Uh, It's just, that's just, that's And see, that really counters a lot of the arguments. People are like, oh, you all are just... Just uh, raging out against women. You don't want to see strong women in these things. Absolutely not. Galadriel is my favorite character in all of Tolkien's Legendarium. And it's not because she's dominating at the expense of the men. Like, it's not that we're hating on women or anything like that. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point in time, in the second and the third age, she is literally the strongest elf in the world at this point in time. Um, Tolkien also writes in his letters that she was an elf maiden who was Amazonian. Uh, Galadriel was... And, and here's the thing. And this is another reason why I'm not a big fan of what they're doing with her character arc. But this is in kind of defense of what she's doing here. Um, originally, she was named Artanis, which means noble woman, which was her father's name. And then she was named Nerwin, which means man maiden, which was her mother's name, referring to her height and her strength and her athleticism. Um... Galadriel, the name Galadriel was actually the cinderized version of the, Teler, the Telerian uh, Quenya um, Alteriel. The name was given to her, to her by her lover Celeborn, which meant maiden crowned with a garland of bright radiance, which referred to her hair. So Galadriel is literally the strongest elf in the world at this point. So it's yeah. nothing for her to be able to take out a troll by herself. I don't like the jump kill, but also here gets to another point that I don't like as well. I don't like that they're actually calling her Galadriel. Yeah. And here's the reason why. Um, Galad- and I don't like it because her husband, Celeborn, is just missing. Now, wait a minute. Coleman brings up uh, a reason for this. Go ahead. He says that in this uh, retcon version, that Galadriel is actually my wife, and me being her husband, I went ahead and gave her the name for the 
for the show. <laughs> Coleman, don't don't encourage this guy. I mean, don't encourage this. Coleman joker. figured out the loophole right there. Well, and I'm for it. To be fair, um, it does work. It does work um, in this retcon version. But the thing that I don't like is is her husband is just missing and she's already married at this point in the second age and if, if we're playing the game of fill in the blanks they might as well just let me fill in the blanks might as well um and i'm pretty sure she actually has had Kellabrain, her daughter at this point that elrond later marries i think it's at the beginning of the third age i'd have to go back and look at the timeline but it's either at the end of the second age or the beginning of the third age but that's all missing here in this and she's already got the name galadriel even though she has no husband. But in Tolkien's lore, the name Galadriel was given to her by, by um, Celeborn. It's, it's a name that he, he renames her. And it's a part of her story. Yep. You know, like she's mo- it's like it's a progression in her character arc where she is um, progressing as a person. Like she's uh, becoming, She moves on from this rebellious man-maiden too. That's right. To, that's yep. right. To this, this um, beautiful She's crowned lady, in beauty and grace and right, things like that. This now, lady yep. of Lorien yep. later on. She, it, it's a part of her character arc where she becomes the person that we know in the Third Age. So again, this is a part of my thing here. It's like, I understand that they don't have the rights to certain things. And that's in Unfinished Tales. There is a section on the travels of Celeborn and Galadriel in Unfinished Tales. And it talks about all of this in it. But they don't have rights to it, and so they can't use it. So they literally call her Galadriel from the outset, and she doesn't have a husband or a daughter yet. And because of that, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Galadriel's arc so far. But to be fair, what could they really do with her then? Like, I wish they would have done nothing with her, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, wish, how would you tell I the think, tale of the Second Age and not include I wish they wouldn't, I, Galadriel be, at all? My take this thus far, even though I'm, I'm enjoying certain things about the show, I wish that they wouldn't have done it. I wish that they would have just not done it. It's too ambitious to do without the source material, I think. Now, I don't know. I guess if, if, if you're never going to get access to Silmarillion, yeah. you might as well take a stab at it. I mean, and you might the, as well go for it. But at that point, it comes off to me about the money. Like, why did we do it? Was because we have, we're going to sink a billion dollars in it because we're going to make more than that. And so, I don't know. How, how would you be certain of that, though, when you do that? Like, are we going to really take the risk of ticking off Tolkien's fan base with this and it's sync and, and having this billion dollar project go down the drain. I think that Jeff Bezos cares about money more than Tolkien's. Oh, fan no base. doubt. But still, I mean, they had to take in the factor of the fan base. Like, yeah. well, the fan base, those who know Tolkien's lore are not big fans. Like, they're not. so I honestly, I wish that they would have that or if they would have worded it differently. Like, this, like, if they would have just called it something else, you know, like if this would have just been a world that they built themselves. And just, this was the story. Like, I would have, if it was original, I would have liked that better. Or if they would have said, inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien. I don't not, know, because in my, my mind would be going the opposite direction. Like, okay, this isn't enough, like Lord of the Rings. Or this, this isn't, uh, like, this, this feels like a knockoff. Like, yeah. even more than, I would have enjoyed it. I don't know. I, I, I don't enjoy, think I could. Like, I don't I enjoy th- certain Like, even when knockoffs. I see other projects, like other stories, other mythos that have that have elves or dwarves or anything like that. I'm always constantly comparing it to Tolkien's legendarium and like nothing is going to, in my mind, live up to that. So I think there's some kind of bias on my part. So it's complicated. It's complex. It is. You know, it's like, do you rather them take the outline of the first, second, third age? I'm impressed that they had the nerve to, to take it on. And I'm, and I think that the nerve that they had was pride. I don't know. It, so, it might be, but I'm, I'm just impressed, honestly, that they, that they would take on something like that. Okay. 
So, and but I would rather they take it on than than a low budget sort of yeah company that you know couldn't live up to anything. Well, like, though I'm I'm interested to see what they're going to do with not Amazon, but with the upcoming War of the Rohirrim. I mean, is somebody else doing something? Like, yeah. I want to see if it's going to be low budget or not. It doesn't look from what I've seen. It doesn't look it. And they've got Miranda Otto. I was going to say Miranda Otto's back in it. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think it could be done. Like. But I don't know. I don't know. It's complex, for sure. It is. Um, it's above my pay grade. It's above my pay grade. That's what I tell people at work. They ask me questions I don't know. I say, it's above my pay grade. So, but anyway, I'm preserving hierarchy there. <laughs> preserving hierarchy. So anyway, um, you know, then after this, we get introduced to Elrond and the world of Linden, the High Elvish, uh, you know, is it the capital city of the High Elves? Is that what they, they labeled it as? I'm pretty sure it is, Linden is, because the they, Grey Havens is sort of this central... Yeah. Well, Lorien yep. doesn't exist at this point in their, their story, which I don't think it exists at this point in... Um, Elrond's not founded um, Rivendell at this point yet. I mean, you have other so. outposts like Erigian and things like this, but I think Linden is the focal point. Yeah. And let me say this. This was a part that I liked. Linden is beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. It feels like it's up out of Peter Jackson. Um, even the shots whenever they're actually in the woods of Linden, like the statues carved in the trees and the oh, lights. Oh, and, and a lot fireworks. of people, if you've played the, uh, what's that, what's that uh, app that we were on? That I tried to, I made, had you made a, an account because they have literally somebody went in there and built uh, Middle Earth like, a oh, Minecraft style, uh, style. It's Roblox. Roblox. There is literally a Realm of the Rings game in there where they've rebuilt Middle Earth in there, and it looks so. Linden and the Grey Havens look so much like it does in Rings of Power. Like I was shocked. But I loved Linden. I thought that yes. it looked great. Um, I thought that uh, Gilgalad. Gilgalad looks more elvish than any of the elves so far. Yeah, I mean, I think that he even looks more elvish than some of Peter Jackson's. I mean, yep. he looks like. A elvish high king. I mean, he's decked in gold, flowing gold, you know, vestments. Um, it even looks like he's got runic on the the chest. Uh, it's not a chest plate, but the chest section of it, which is kind of interesting to me because runic is he's very noble and ethereal looking. Like he, he, he it definitely he looks is. like when you describe the elves, the elves, like he he looks like that to me. We're also introduced here to Elrond. Young Elrond, half elven, um, who is not a dwarf lord because he's not allowed into the the meeting whenever we're introduced to him. Um, but he's writing the speech that uh, Gilgalad is going to give um, whenever these mighty warriors yep. who've been hunting Sauron are honored. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I really, really like the guy who's playing Elrond, which I think is hilarious because the whole time, like we were watching previews, and like I just don't like this guy. That's You're like, yeah, <laughs> I don't think he looks like Elrond. Like yep. I don't, he doesn't remind me of Elrond. No. Like I don't like this guy. I have to say, I think that he is a great actor. I'm really happy with how he's portrayed Elrond so far. Um, I think that he's doing a very good job in that role. I like he seems like a very good actor, and I'm just really a big fan of of his part so far and touch just with his scenes with Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Like I love how they've made Galadriel's rebellion, something that's not like heroic. Like that's yeah. what I was worried about. Like she was yeah. going to be this, uh, feminist champion on, at the expense of the men. Like she's going to make them look stupid, but it's very clear that her rebellion is yeah. very prideful and self-centered and it's, 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 she's in the wrong. Yeah. Well, let me say that I am a fan of that. 
even though I'm not a fan of her character arc and what they've done with her character so far, I am sure that it's going to end in the same place, which hurts her being humbled at the yep. end of it uh, and becoming the Lady of Lorien that we see later on. Because you're right, they are depicting her stuff, her rebellion here, as not being virtuous. Like even uh, how when, when the elves lay down their swords, like you could take that as, okay, she's the men have given up and she's going to lead the way. But also they're, they're coming to their stances. Like they're like, okay, this is just, this is we too much. Being, we are being led to, by, to our death. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, this is madness at this point. And they're trying to get her to see reason. You show how she continues on. Like she's yep. off the rails. Yep. Yep. Um, let me see here. Uh, but I'm a big time fan of, uh, of that so far. Um, I do think that her character arc is going to end up in the same place, and I'm a, I'm glad of that. Um, and her just disrespecting the honor that people try to to give to her, yeah. like with Gilgalad and the Valinor, the Valar, like they all she's given these these on this this honor and these titles and things of like that, too. and this yeah, a very generous letting her return, mm-hmm. and she just spits in the face of it, yeah. like it's it's very disrespectful, and it's portrayed as that oh, too. I remember what I was going to say. Another thing that I really like about Elrond is his character is being depicted as a strong male. And I'm a big fan of that. Yes. Because Galadriel's off the chains. Okay. She's off her rocker. Um, she's wants blood. Um, and they're depicting it as non-virtuous. But whenever, like, Elrond shoots very straight with her, kind of acting as a counterbalance. Like, he, he basically says, hey, you know, you basically disrespected your high king. Um, and that's probably not going to fly if you keep doing that. Like, there's the preservation of hierarchy there, not the flatting, flattening of it out. Yeah. Which was what I was afraid that they were going to do, that they were going to egalitarianize Tolkien here um, and do away with the hierarchy. But, you know, um, they at least in these two episodes, they've not done that. And I was very, very happy about that. Like, Elrond, like, he, I didn't think that he'd come across, like, I saw where Elon Musk tweeted that the men were weak and that they come across, and even the ones who weren't were, were not nice. And this is somebody who is a, a herald for the king, basically. And somebody is in rebellion, right? And I thought that he was very charitable towards Galadriel. I mean, he hugs her and like they're 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 friends and they're glad yeah. to see one another. But he's also very honest with her. Like he's being straightforward. He's with being her. very straightforward yeah. with her. And you know, in this world, she's the commander of the Northern Armies, so she should be able to handle that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was a fan of that. Uh, I, I think that Elon Musk is wrong. And yeah, and, and you know, he talks about Tolkien's turning over in his grave. You know, I, I like I said, I'm not a big fan of what they're doing with Tolkien's lore either, but. You know, I think that he's. I think he's wrong about the male character part, and that. All and he them, doesn't really outright dismiss Gladriel's fears about the darkness about Sauron. Right. He says that's great. I, that's he goes, "I promise I'll keep watch. Like yep. if if this shows I, up, like we'll yep. meet it head on. Like yeah. we'll we'll take care of it." Yep. Yep. I, I thought that that was good. Um, and even when Gilgalad comes out and says, "Yeah, she's probably right. Like Sauron's still probably out there somewhere." But I mean, it's time for her to to put this. To bed, like she's off the rails, like she needs yeah. to go and let this go. Yeah, and you see that there in the conversation between Elrond and her, and he tells her to put away her sword, and she's like, "But if I put away my sword, who will I be?" Oh God, and I hate I that. The, I hate of, that. It was one of the most cringe it lines is, in the whole show. That is so not it. It's not. It's just not like me knowing Tolkien and the lore. 
and what Galadriel's storyline is, I just can't be a fan of it. Yeah. I'm just not. Like, that's just Like, not. how do you look at the Lady of Lorien down the road and, like, this, the elf queen of Lothlorien, and how, how do you... How do you make that connection? Like, yeah. she doesn't know who she is without her sword. Like, yeah. it makes no sense. Yeah. Well, after that, we're introduced to... Uh, I don't know how to say this. I don't know if it's Harfeet or Harfoot. I don't know the plural of Harfoot. I think Harfoot is the, the plural. It might be. Yeah, we meet the Harfoot. And my first reaction whenever I saw them, okay, I don't like them. I think it's like oh, the way they use the word Bigfoot. Like, this, these are... Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah this are, is the big, these are the Bigfoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, my first reaction whenever I saw them, I was not at all a fan. Oh, like they struck I loved me. them. Whenever they started rolling up out of the trees, oh, the two hunters too. We saw them, and I'm pretty convinced that they're nobody important. Remember whenever we first saw the pictures of the dude killing? Oh, yeah. We, th- we, we spent so much time trying to figure out who yeah, that was. Theorizing who, and I'm pretty Like, are sure, these the blue wizards? Like, like I'm, and I'm certain that they're literally just hunters. Like, it literally says on the subtitles, hunters. And I think the Harfoot actually refers to them as hunters. Like, hunters this time of year? Yeah. You know, um, like, so I think that there are people who are literally just hunting and they were coming back, going back to wherever they were going. Yeah. Cause they take the hunters this mm-hmm. time of year being yep. like a, a, a uh, bad omen. Uh, yep, yep. That's right. Yep. Um, so I don't think that they're actually anybody of importance, but, um, they just kind of, um, set the ball in motion. For Dude, this. I, I'm so shocked that you don't like the Harfoot. When I, when I saw them, <sighs> like the way that they, uh, that they they hid in the trees and under logs and under stump. They were like camouflaged. Yeah, like it, I I get it. It comes off like the uh, the uh, crap. What are they? The first thought that came through my mind when they started rolling out of the trees and the holes was, oh my gosh! And the music that hit, I was like, these are Oompa Loompas. No, okay, it reminded me of the way the Munchkins, the munchkins come out of the yeah, plants yeah. and things when yep. Dorothy comes and they all yep. hide. Yep. But it's still it's there's something very whimsical. And fairy tale like yeah. about them, and it's a very fairy story, yeah. and I and I appreciate that. Like from uh, those were the things that inspired Tolkien was the fairy stories. So the fact that they would be like yeah. coming out of the logs and that they could blend in with nature, they they were very fay like, yeah. and I appreciated that. There was some things about their story that I did appreciate. Like they do get there is some like Pajovian, Jonathan Pajot style symbolism going on with the Harfoot, like where wherever they are that's the center yeah. right and the things that are out in the margins don't don't go there like it's it's uh it's dangerous out there we stick together like that's spot on the monsters are on the margins and i really appreciate appreciate that and later on you do find a a giant in the margins um with uh meteor man and yeah. whoever he is i'm but, not ready to get into that yet just no. yet um i I'll also say this of the Harfoot that I've seen, I do like Sadik, or, or I don't know if his name's Sadik or Sadok Burroughs, um, the African-American um, Harfoot, the guy who is... Uh, Dude, he legit he's got reminds the star map me. And, he reminds me of Rafiki from Lion King. Yeah. Like, just the, this wizard me, yeah. advisor sort of thing, this yeah. wise guy. Yep. Like, he's looking at the stars. You see Rafiki do the same thing. Yeah, and he's talking about how the skies are strange yep. and, you know, all that. I was a big, I, I am a fan of him. I think yep. that he's a, a very, he comes across to me as a very good actor. I was very happy with the job that he was doing. You didn't like the Harfoot just like, just in chilling general, out in the berry patch, just stuffing their faces with these blackberries, like just being hippies and vibing out. Like, I don't know if that's just me. I guess it's but because. But I loved them. They were very I, whimsical. I guess it's because I know who, like, I get it. Like this When is I look they, at them, I could see how they later on become yeah, the, well, the Hobbits. Well, I mean, like, I. 
the stuff that we do have about the Harfoot is very little in Tolkien's work. Um, we do know that they did have different skin colors. Tolkien talks about that. Um, very clear about that. But, um, you know, like I saw somebody complaining, but they didn't like saying they didn't like them because they were dirty. I'm like, but they're migratory. You know what I mean? Like, I like, what do you think that migratory? Okay. Look like? Uh, the hobbits are bare feet roaming through the, the woods, the woods. And they're migrating. Yeah. And, you know, like that's later on, be, like their, their feet are, I mean, that's part of their character. Their, their feet yeah. are dirty. No, they're they're hairy. Settle, yeah. And they're going to settle down later on in life. You know, they're going to get to the point to where the Shire and, you know, all that's going to be founded. Um, or settled, and so they're not always going to be migratory, which I hope that's a part of their storyline. Yeah, I hope that we get to see the settling of the Shire. Um, I think that that would be cool. Um, but yeah, they just kind of struck me as very um, Oompa Loompa ish, or what was the other one you said from the Wizard of Oz? Oh, when they they land in uh, what are they called? The first thing that came to mind was the lollipop. The munchkins. The munchkins. Yeah. yeah, the munchkins. Yeah. Yeah, they, that's who they, they put me in the mind of. And like right off the bat, I wasn't a fan. But I'll like say Like you literally have the munchkins, like they pop up out of the ground yeah. with the flower on their head. Yeah, like, that's, that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it felt, yeah. But, uh, you know, as I've watched more, I've watched it three times now. And as of now, like they've grown on me a little bit, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, they've, they've grown on me a little bit. They've grown on me a little bit. I am a big fan of Sadik uh, Burroughs. Um, I, I do like his character and what they're doing with him. And I do like what they are doing with the symbolism there with the, the Harfoot. To me, the I, like, the I like Nori. I don't and like Nori. Because I think that uh, she bodes well with the way that uh, Frodo's family is depicted later on. Like, they're, like, they even talk about Nori being too inquisitive and adventurous for a Harfoot. Like, she, she shouldn't be like the way she is. And they also say that about Frodo and Bilbo. Like, they're yeah. They're very, they they're too adventurous go, for, the, Bilbo for goes one out of the Shire. The yeah. 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 You can see that there's definitely some continuity there. Yeah. Um, it's the you same can thing see with, that spark of adventure that's in her is later passed on to Frodo. And, well, it's the same thing with the fireworks in Linden. Whenever they're having the celebration and yeah. celebrating that, that militia. So there's some continuity there with Gandalfs. Um, so after that, I think that we are. We have we're forced into Meteor Man territory. I think. Are we in the? Is it Meteor Man or is it uh, the dwarves? Let's go into the dwarves first. Okay. Well, we get we see the dwarves, and uh, well, we're introduced to uh, Celebrimbor by then. Yeah. Yes. Cause, yeah. yeah because he takes Celebrimbor to the he door. He takes Celebrimbor to the door. Um, which I thought was strange because. Um, because, Let's talk about Celebrimbor first. Well, uh, okay, I'm not a big fan of Celebrimbor. No. Um, Erigian, I thought, looked pretty good. Yeah, Erigian looked awesome. Uh, Celebrimbor does not look like an elf. No, he doesn't. Um, he looks like a car salesman who would sell you a... <laughs> he he does, doesn't fit the mold. No, of what, he looks you, like a dude who's been selling cars for a long time. Like, this the is the great elven smith. He's trying to sell you a, a Ford Focus. Yeah, um, like, this is supposed to be the great elven smith of Erigian. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Which I'm pretty sure that Dave Delagardale told him that he was going to be watching him closely as he forged, because that's what he does. I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah, so... Uh, so, uh, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. And uh, the hammer. The hammer Fanor. Yeah. Which, this is what I thought was odd. Like, um, uh, Elrond is like fanboying over it. And actually, it's a part of 
that lineage that actually plays a part in Elrond basically having no his not have, you know his family issues. And yep. so I just thought that was kind of an odd thing for him to fanboy over in the story. Well, maybe they don't have the rights. They don't. So they don't. They don't. Maybe have the that's not an issue no, for they, this. They don't. Elrond. It's, it, apparently, it's not a part of this world. Um. So yeah. So but again, that gets back to the issue of is is this a little too ambitious to do without those sources? I, I yeah. I mean, it raises that question again. So, but anyway, um. Homeboy Celebrimbor, he's wanting to do something ambitious, and he's wanting it done by the, I think it was the spring? He's going to build this huge forge. And we know what's coming. He's going to forge the Rings of Power. Oh, yeah. Um, and yet, he doesn't have the manpower to do it. King Gilgalad does not have the, the manpower to help him. So Elrond suggests, what about someone outside of our race? Celebrimbor's like, how far are we talking outside of our race here? Um, and then you end up at the gate of Khazad Doom, which I loved. Yep one of my favorite parts of the show um you know they get there and uh elrond is like you know don't worry he's like you work your craft i'll work mine yeah i'm gonna because, get- <laughs> because i'm here to see my friend durin and yeah. it's like no yeah they slam the door <laughs> well we find out that um him and durin have not seen one another in 20 years yeah which in the lifetime of, of an, an elf, elf is, is a like blink of literally a a, d- a weekend yeah like, it's a it's, blink of an eye yeah but in the life of a dwarf not so much he basically says he's lived a life like i suppose what i was going to say duran literally tells him like okay for you that's a blink of an eye but for me he goes i've lived a whole life in that time he goes i have a wife i have kids now yeah it's like scolding him is like where were you when my children were born and yep. things like that and you can see it really hits elron hard like oh my gosh yep i missed out on the life of my of my best friend right here there were some easter eggs in that part too i loved whenever you know um you know, they go through the whole uh, the whole rite that they're doing where they're smashing stones. And then eventually, you know, he he's you know, he apologizes to him and then he says that he would like to apologize to his wife and then he takes him there. Um I love, love whenever uh the the dwarvish kids come running through there with the big helmets. With the helmets on, on yeah. Oh, I love that part. That was that was excellent. I really Those really are little warriors it. in the making right there. Yes, I loved it. I thought that it was excellent. Um, let's just talk about Cause of Doom in general. Like Cause of Doom, the last time you see Cause of Doom, you see it in—is it Fellowship? You see yep, it, yep. And it's just in ruins. Yep. So compared to what it is now in its in its heyday, mm-hmm. it is absolutely something spectacular. Like yep. I love the use of the mirrors to reflect light throughout the halls. Yep. Do you remember the mirrors that mm-hmm. reflect the light? Yep. You see the, that the waterfalls, and it's just so different than what you see. It's full in of ruins. life. Yep. It's full of life and vitality. And, and literally in fellowship, it's just death. It's literally a tomb at that point. Yep. And they literally, it's just, this isn't, you know, this isn't a, was it a, this isn't a mine. This is a tomb. Yeah, this is a tomb. Yeah. Um, but I loved it here. It's very lively. It's, it's excellent. And um, I loved the scene with the kids. And there's actually a, a kind of a, a throwback there. Now, did you like in Hobbit, did you like uh, Erebor? I did. Okay. I did like That's, Erebor. it reminded me a lot of that. Yeah. I did like it. I liked it better than Erebor. Yeah, actually, I was going to say it, it. There was a lot of similarity to that, and I like that. If you look at uh, one of uh, Durin's children, one of the helmets that he's wearing is the helmet of Turin Turinbar that's on the cover of the Children of Hurin. Yeah, but since they don't actually like reference it and say what it is, I guess they're able to get away with it. Yeah, but yeah, it's the helmet of Turin Turinbar. So you that there are some kind of 
you know, deep lore there. You know what I mean? Some references back to some of Tolkien's work, as much as there can be, I guess. Um, so I, I really appreciated that, and I like that. I really like... That's, that's another thing. There's a theme that they, there's at least an effort being made yeah, there is to some... work with what they had to work with and to sort of honor that legacy the best that they could with what they had to work with, yeah. is what it seems to me. Like, it doesn't come off like they didn't try. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, we see the, the tree um, that was seeded from the tree of Linden. Love that. Yeah, I really like that. Just kind of showing that, there, that at some point there was a, a friendship between these peoples, um, these, two, these two races. And I, I really liked that. And, uh, yeah. And now, do you I, think that, uh, that, that Elrond let Durin win that stone-smashing thing? Like, he just laid down the he hammer. He literally yielded. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Like, he acted like he, he was tired there at first. Yeah. Like, I think you let him win. Yeah. Um, also, surprisingly, like Disa. That's what I was going to say. Let's talk about her. Yeah. Because um, I remember when we were first talking about, when we figured out her character was going to be in it, like, we was like, okay, this, this is something that's going to be a Trojan horse for a woke agenda. And yeah. so far, I yeah. really like her character. Yeah, so far, it's not. Um, she seemed to be a loving, supporting wife. She really is a great counterbalance to, yeah. to Durin. And Durin is, I mean, at this point, he's all man. Yeah. Like, he's hard-headed. He's like hard-headed. He's, he's stubborn. Like, he's, he's battling it out with elves, smashing rocks with hammers. He's kicking him out. I mean, yeah. yeah like, he's not the weak character. She's slapping him in the head. She's like, okay, make nice with your friend here. Yeah. I, I, actually, I actually liked Deesa she's, so she's far. She's a soft side to him. Like, she is. And, and he leans into that. Yep, he did. And, like, there's actually some romance there between them. Yep. Um, and I really liked that. Like it, it was nice. It was nice to see that that there was just a normal as a rope. helper for a strong man. It, yep. it it really works out good. I thought so too. I think that's well said. Now that could change later on. I was going to say yeah, and I hope that it doesn't. But yep. so far, it's really good. Yep. Also, I figured out what the singing uh, part was. You know the scenes where we saw her singing, yeah. like doing like a ceremonial song. Um, you remember her talking about, uh, or Kella Brimbor talking about singing to the stones. Singing to the stones. Yes. There's a song called like. Um, oh gosh, it was in uh, Bear McCreary's playlist. Let me let me see. Has that scene happened? Not yet. I was going to say I don't recall, but yeah, let me find it real quick. Um, let's see here. Rings of Power soundtrack. List. And I love the way she describes the mountain and its various parts being like a body, and you have to know how to treat each part. And it's it's. Very interesting. And with intention and things like that that they describe with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for the soundtrack list here. Uh, okay, I found it. Uh, there's a song. It's track 23 on Bear McCreary's uh, Rings of Power soundtrack called A Plea to the Rocks. A Plea to the Rocks. And it's very uh, ceremonial sounding. You can tell that it's probably, the character is probably supposed to be Disa who's singing it. Like, it feels like that. But it makes sense. Like, the title of it, it's a plea to the rocks. We know that they're singing to the rocks. They're treating them like people. They're caring for the mountain, which, uh, you know, I, I really like. And well, I mean, so, they, they talk about the mountain being a being, like, it's yep. separated in parts. So, I mean, even with, you see this almost in, uh, in Erebor when they find the Arkenstone. Like, mm -hmm. it's the heart the of the heart mountain. The heart of the mountain. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, there's a re-enchantment there, isn't there? Yep. Like, that there is a... Uh, that this is something more than just simply stone. Yep. Like this thing is alive in some ways. And 
the way that you come to know it epistemologically is by treating it person-like. Yep. Um, and I like that because that is very it's much... It's very embodied. It's really, it's very, it's really good. Very, you're right. It's very embodied. Um, it's not treating knowledge as simply a intellectual exercise. There is a... It's, it's the kind of Adam knows his wife. Yep. Right there's a there's intimacy there. There's a, a dance. Like, even a if dwar- as you if you look at dwarves as elemental yep. spirits, the way they are in touch and a part of their element, like of earth, of stone, like the relationship they have with it, it's yep. very embodied. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. So that's that's the dwarves. I really like it. And let's get to the others, which are Arondir and uh, Bronwyn Wait, and wait. can we talk about uh, Durin's, Prince Durin's father? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. looks so much like the dwarves from Peter Jackson's he does. universe. That's he like, looks okay, like he's straight okay. out of the Hobbit. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he's, he's epic looking. And I'm wondering what he's going to pull out of the box in the second episode. Did you, That's what I was going to say. I'm that like, was I, very I, glowy, very heart of the mountain, Arkenstone-ish looking. That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking something like the heart of the mountain. That's what I'm I mean. Thinking. Do you think that that's? I don't know. The Arkansas. I mean, maybe that is Durin's uh, bloodline. Well, yeah. Well, they do find it in Erebor. So yeah, they're yeah, digging. Yeah. But maybe it's maybe every similar. mountain has one. Maybe. Like, maybe. I don't um, know. We'll see. Somebody, uh, I think it was the guy from Nerd of the Rings, said he thought it was mithril, but it didn't look like mithril to me. Like you kind of catch a little bit of a glimpse at it. It looked like a stone. It did look like a stone. Like that's what popped in my head. Yeah. So um, we'll see. We'll see on episode three. But um, yeah, I thought that the dwarves were great. Um, let's talk about Arondir, Bronwyn, and Theo. I'm actually a big fan of this storyline, and I didn't think I would be. And there's some various reasons. <laughs> oh, big oh, gosh. You ain't got the COVID, do you? No. <laughs> I've got the dusty under a blanket. Dusty under a blanket. Um, I was actually coming in. I was uh, pretty concerned about Arondir and Bronwyn. Yeah. Because they're both non-canonical characters, um, as was Disa. Um, and so I was just kind of concerned coming in. I'm like, oh boy. You know, I saw this in The Hobbit with Tariel, and I just don't know if I'm going to like it. But so far, I'm a big fan of it. Now, there is one thing that does not make sense to me, and that is that at this point in Tolkien's lore... Uh, are you talking about the... Okay, I know. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a fan of the relationship. Uh, like, to me, it almost... That's surprising to me. It almost looks like... Cause, yeah, because I liked... I'm going to get so much hate for this, but I liked uh, Tariel and oh, Keeley. This is blasphemy. But I, I think... Hang him high. I think that Peter Jackson saw that what he could do with uh, trying to recreate Aragorn and Arwen, yeah. that sort of interracial sort of thing yeah with with uh tariel mm-hmm. and i think that uh amazon's filmmakers saw that like okay if peter jackson get away with it we could too well it's it's playing off of baron and luthien yeah and, and that's another thing Aragorn. like you hear them talking about like what is it what does he say just this is twice worked, this has happened twice two yeah. other times and... like he, he's he's referring to baron and luthien yeah like without having to say the names yeah he says tw- i think he says it's happened twice and yeah oh the only other one that I know of is Aragorn and Arwen. Yeah, later somebody, on. Like yeah, the, yeah, later on. So that wouldn't have happened at this point. Somebody, yeah, so somebody knows the other one. He's maybe talking we're just about. missing something very obvious. Yeah, maybe. Um, but or maybe maybe he didn't say. Maybe he said it's happened a couple. Wait, I don't remember what he said. What about Elrond? He's 
No, Elrond's half elven. Uh, no, that's not happened at, at that point in the show either. Like Who were his Brand. parents? I thought Elrond's parents were. His brother becomes um, mortal. I don't know. Yeah, his brother becomes the first king of Numenor. Uh, what was his brother's name? Um, Elros. Yeah. Yeah, Elros. He becomes, uh, I think he becomes mortal. Because uh, you see Aragorn can trace his, his lineage back to uh, Elrond's family. His father becomes a star. Yep. How about that? There you go. <laughs> um, so, sorry, son. I'm going to go up here and become a star. I mean, if you get the chance, you might as well go for it. That's a very richy thing to say. <laughs> it is, and sometimes yeah. to my detriment. Um, but I have to say, at this this is one of my f- more favorite storylines at this point. And I think that one of the reasons why is because I think that Arondir is being depicted as a warrior lover very well so far. But I, th- I think my issue with it is I don't understand why. Like, they haven't shown enough of their story yet yeah. for me to understand why there's a relationship to begin with. Yeah, they've not shown enough of that Like, yet. I was like, why? Like, how did you two... Like yeah, like it just feels forced. Like yeah, well, with, you just with Aragorn and Arwen, they were raised together. Right. Like they've they've known each other their entire lives. Right. There is no backstory to yeah. This. There's nothing here. That, like they show up. Okay, this this elf has the hots for this woman, and yeah. it's it, yeah. it just feels weird. Hopefully, at some point, that's uh, expanded on. I think it yeah. gives it a little. I more think that's the only re- the issue I have with it. But I thought um, Aron Deer, I'm actually kind of a fan of at this point. I love his armor. I was going to say. The green the, man armor. The green man armor. Oh, I'm a big, I love I'm a, it. I'm a big fan. Um, it's big very uh, Markwood, like Sylvan Elf. Well, he is a Sylvan Elf. Yep. Which also does not make sense because at this point, if I'm understanding correctly, the uh, Noldor and the Sylvan Elves are not on great terms at this point. Um, actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think the father of Thranduil is actually ruling um, and maybe even settling. Um, in uh so it's Merkwood, right? Um hold on a second, where was it? I don't want to get that wrong. Um the Woodland Realm. Uh give me just a second. Woodland Realm location. Yeah, it's in Merkwood. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was. Um uh, I'm pretty sure, let's see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Merkwood. Uh let's see here. Was it always called Markwood, or was it called something else? No, it was called uh, uh, Ravanian, I think is what it was called. I think it's how you pronounce it. Um, the Woodland Realm was the kingdom of the Sylvan Elves located deep in Markwood, the great forest of Ravanian, beginning in the Second Age. Following the War of the Last Alliance, Thranduil of the Sindar ruled over the, Sin- the Sylvan Elves. Those in the Woodland Realm were known to be less wise and more dangerous than other elves. But by the late Third Age, they were the only remaining elven realm with a king. That's interesting. Um, but let me see here. I think it was in... When was it in the Second Age? It was... If I'm not mistaken... Um, yeah, it was founded in 750 in the Second Age. Um, yeah, 750 in the Second Age. And... Um, let's see here. Yeah, 750 in the Second Age. And then Numenor falls... Uh, Numenor doesn't begin. Oh, sorry. Um, let's see. It was in 1800 in the Second Age whenever the Numenorians begin to establish dominions on the coast. Um, let's see. Tarminster uh, sends a great navy from Numenor to Linden in 1700. 
Um, the Numenorians were around. They made permanent. Uh, let's see. In 1200, Sauron endeavors to seduce the Eldar. Gilgaled refuses to treat with him, but the Smiths of Eregion are won over. The Numenorians begin to make permanent haven. So that's around about where we're at here. Yep. Um, so this is around 1200 in the Second Age. Is about yeah. Eregion is founded by the Noldor in 750. So Eregion is already around. Um, yeah. So we're somewhere between 750 and 1200 in the Second Age. So. At this point, the Woodland Realm has already existed for a hot minute. Yeah. Like, founded in 250. And this is where the Sylvan Elves are at. They are not working with the Noldor. So, that's one thing that I'm not a big fan of at this point. It doesn't make sense that a Sylvan Elf is on an outpost in the Southlands with King King Gilgalad. Yep. Their king at this point would be um, of the lin- lineage of Thrandil at this point. So, yep, not a, not a real big fan of that. But um, I do like the depiction of Arondir. He has one of my favorite lines in the show thus far, where she's talking, uh, Bronwyn is talking about, are there healers um, among your, your people? Because that's what she is. Um, yep. she, she's very hippie. I love um, it. Yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> um, but um, she asks if there's healers among your people. And he's basically like, um, we call them artificers. And um, their, their primary thing is making art. And the reason why is because beauty can I was going to say, talking Be- about how beauty, beauty can, can heal. Beauty can heal the soul. Yep. That is a very, very Tolkienian idea. Oh, yeah. Um, there's actually a book called uh, Tolkien's Theology of Beauty by Lisa Katuris. Um and it dives deeper into this idea of, of beauty in Tolkien and his works and the theology that undergirds Tolkien's theology, his, you know, undergirds his theology of beauty. And that's a very Tolkienian idea, that beauty can heal the world. And, yep. you know, coming from somebody who was in the Great War and saw the darkness. The carnage, yeah. The carnage and the <clears throat> darkness of, of machinery. Yep. Um, and progress and all of that stuff, the Iron Crown that he talks about, and like Mythopoeia and other places, um, you could see why he would think that beauty would heal the soul. And I thought that was a very authentic Tolkienian yep. um, idea. So I really, really liked that. One of my favorite lines in the show. Um, but I do like his, uh, his depiction, the depiction of Arondir. He, uh, he is not depicted as a weak male. He is very strong. He's uh, he's very stoic as a warrior. Like he's not showing his emotion whenever he's a warrior. But whenever Bronwyn's around, like you can see, like he's he's got the romance too. Like he's interested in her and he's he's gentle with her in ways. And um, I don't know what's going on with Bronwyn just up and leaving her kid though. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know she comes back and and let's it, let's talk about the the sword mm-hmm. that he's got. Yeah, that sword is interesting. Because it does have the mark on it that you see that they're associating with Sauron. It's the same mark that's on uh, Gladriel's brother, which we're assuming you know would be Finrod. Yep. Um, and it's the same mark that they find in the castle up in the north, and it's on the sword that Theo has. And it it's it like whenever his blood touches it, it begins to like fill out and grow, and it's this black blade. It it very much reminds me of a Morgul blade. Now, they're talking about the people of the Southlands. Yep. And the Southlands, later on, you're going to know it as Mordor. 
So, I mean, these That's people right. were Morgoth worshippers. They were. So, Which uh, is why, why Arondir's there to begin with. Yeah. They keep but an eye on them. They sided yeah. with Morgoth, um, which I thought was fascinating. I really liked, like, when, uh, whenever, uh, I think it's in the second episode, Bronwyn goes back, and whenever she goes back, um, she, uh, you know, it, it kind of does this little cut scene where it shows, like, some statu- a statue um, and then a, like, a plate of stone. Oh, or, I know where you're going with this. I love that. There's a, yep. uh, an eagle carrying uh, a person and like the person looks like they're in agony. Yeah. And it's just interesting. You see a little bit into the, the Southland's perspective. They don't view the Eagles as bringing, um, you know, life and healing and or like the heroes that they're portrayed the heroes, in Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, but like, rather as the people, the, the ones bad who, guys, the bad yeah. guys who hurt their people. So I thought that was a great bit of world building. Like they, the Eagles to them are what the Nazgul would be to, to what our our perspective in Lord of the Rings. That's right. Yeah, thought that was some great world building. It was. Yeah, I really really liked that. And uh, yeah, but um, yeah, you know, with their whole storyline there, he's there, and then uh, you know, we find out that uh, you know, they're pulling back because the threat's been neutralized. Right, Sauron is gone. You know, it plays into the whole. It connects to the Galadriel. You know, and the like Gilgalad. I know you thought that that was going to be a like a Morgul blade, mm-hmm. like. What is the? What do you think the association with Sauron is? Uh, now, is this Sauron's sword? Like, is this? Like, I don't know. It's got his symbol on it. It's basically got his name on it. So. It does have his symbol on it. <laughs> so, I mean, how did this kid end up with it? Like, why is it in the? I don't know. Like, um, where does he find it? He finds it in the floorboards of some. Is a yeah. I can't. Remember. I'd have to go back and watch. But something about uh, it was a treasure hoard or something. I almost think that Hallbrand is his dad. Oh gosh, here we go through some rabbit holes. Sa- well, second episode. This gives us a little bit in the second episode, which yeah. we barely talked about at all. Yeah, and we're over an hour already. Um, but Hallbrand later on, they say that they're all from the south. Oh yeah, and he kind of, kind of, eh, eh a little bit. Still, I want to know how if this is if this is Sauron's sword and it's yeah. and it's magical. Like how how did it end up in the hands of this kid? Like <laughs> I don't know. I guess we'll find find out. Like that is the the place he finds it. It belonged to some kind of farmer, and that that farmer had like a a treasure hoard of objects from from when uh, the Southlands when they were Morgoth worshippers. Like I think that's what it's from. Like it's a treasure hoard of some kind. Yeah. Um, but I I don't really know what's going on with that yet. I guess we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, we'll see. I almost think. The, the the mark of Sauron is a map of Mordor. I almost think that. A map of Mordor. Yeah, let me show you what Mordor looks like on the map. Um, I came across this theory. But Mordor doesn't, it doesn't exist yet, does it? Not yet. So how would it be a map of Mordor? Maybe it's of what's to come. But he, see the three here? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, okay. Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I could see it. Yeah. Um, maybe it's it's kind of where he's planning to set up shop, um, or I don't know. These people did side side with Morgoth. Yeah, they they were literally his alliance. Yeah. So so I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there with it. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Yeah. So we'll or maybe see. the sword just has an association with the with the region, like yeah. with the Southlands itself. Maybe. Um, who knows? But one thing for one thing is for sure, um, the the orcs that have been hunted. They're not up north anymore. They're they're down south. There yep. were Mordor 
is going to be. And we get a glimpse of that in the second ep- episode, um, whenever where they're tunneling, where they're tunneling. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, we see, you know, Ron Deere's kind of on the hunt for them. They've burnt down a city, and there's no bodies, like at all. I'm wondering what's going on with the bodies. Um, I guess we'll find out. But um, they're probably tun- been eaten, honestly, at this probably. point by the the orcs. Well, I'm going to say this: the orcs in this are far more menacing than I think they were in Peter Jackson. Honestly, I remember watching Peter Jackson's orcs and thinking I could take these guys. When, yeah. when watching this, that work that you see, like he puts up a fight, like yeah. he's very swift and strong, yeah. and he puts up. A he's big, menacing. Yeah, he puts up a big fight. He, yeah, it's intimidating. Um, it's it's a lot more menacing. I think. I think they look so much better too. Like they look way better than they did in the Hobbit. I think uh, Peter Jackson makes the mistake of like showing uh, like Gimli and uh, Legolas like killing killing orcs in droves like it's nothing. Like you like they they even have a keeping a competition of who can kill the most, like but yeah. in this one it shows that they're something that they're a force to be reckoned with. Like yep. they're, yep, they're terrifying. Yep, I think so. Check this out. I'm showing Richie a symbol of uh, Sauron symbol, um, his uh, Sauron sigil and more the map of Mordor, the mountain ranges. Yeah, it does match up somewhat with the mountain ranges. Not quite, but some, somewhat. Yeah, there is some I, similarity. I see it, yeah. Maybe that's coincidental, maybe it's not. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Oh, here's a better picture of it. Now, that looks a lot closer whenever it's side-by-side side like yeah. that. Whenever it's sideways, yeah. Yeah, sideways. It looks a lot more like it. Go check it out, everybody. Just type in Map of Mordor Sauron symbol on Google, and you'll be able to see it. Um, maybe I'll find a picture of it and drop it. Um, but anyway... So let's talk a little bit about the second episode. I didn't like the second episode as much as I did the first one. Um, oh, um, let me say this though. I see a lot of people out there complaining. They're like, it's thrown the hero's journey aside and it's, there's no plot. I'm like, dude, it's literally the first two episodes in a five, I think they're saying five seasons. I mean, literally you could call, yeah, I wouldn't even want to call this two episodes. I, I think it flows better if it's one. Honestly, do yeah. I think they could have just skipped like making it a second episode? And I'm just like, wait a second. If you think the hero's journey isn't present here, <laughs> like you really don't understand the hero's journey yep. and how this works. Like if you think that the hero's journey is completed in two episodes, wow, you don't understand it. Like, do you know how it starts? It starts off with a call to adventure. Yep. Um, it starts off with that for Galadriel, whether or not if you like her storyline or not. Um, she has a call to adventure, and that's picking up and avenging her brother. That's the call to adventure, right? And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, we're just now in the beginning phases of a five series. I think they're saying five se- five seasons. They're basically the introducing characters and laying foundations. Yeah. Like, you can't make that assertment yet. And it's very obvious that there are character arcs that are starting and yes. are going to end in a certain place. Like Galadriel's is probably going to end. Like they literally, like if you actually read some of the stuff that Amazon has said, they literally say, I think it was uh, in the summary of the first two episodes, we're beginning to see uh, the person that Galadriel was that leads to her becoming the person we see in the third age. Yep. Like that's the character arc. They acknowledge that end result. Yeah. The character, yeah, they, they are acknowledging that result. So it seems like yep. that's the direction they're heading. 
Um, so you're beginning to see the beginning of the hero's yep. journey start here. Um, and you see it, you see it with a Rondir. Uh, the call to action here is, wow, there's some weird stuff happening in the Southlands. This like city, the whole, the, literally the entire first and second episode is a, a widespread call to adventure. Like you see uh, Galadriel jumping off the ship to go into her adventure. You see uh, a Rondir going into the tunnel, like to chase down the orcs. Like everybody's you see being Nori, called. Nori and Meteor Man. Yep. Who's on the, the margins. Everybody's being called into an adventure right now. And so we haven't talked about Meteor Man yet. Oh, we're talking, gosh. We're talking about the second episode, and a lot of the second episode... We're going to fight about Meteor Man. A lot of the second episode has to do with Meteor Man. We yep. see a lot more of him in the second episode, and a lot of the stuff that's going on with him. Um, you know, there's the stuff with the... Most of Galadriel's uh, stuff is going... She's in the sea, literally swimming and, sea. and yep. fighting a worm and, you know, all that. Um uh, and she meets Hallbrand and the group of misfits who he like literally lets be left for dead. Yeah, um, I, I don't like Hallbrand. No, I don't like. like I think either. he's. I think his character is kind of pointless at this point. Yeah. I mean, who knows what Maybe it's going to turn into? But I'm, at this I'm point, they're setting him up one of two ways. Here's my theory: they're setting him up for a major redemption arc because he's cowardly. Yeah, he literally let his friends die mm-hmm. to that sea monster. Yep. Like, literally. even Gladriel calls him out on it, like, okay, you just literally fed your entire friends on that boat to that monster. Yep. Um, but then, he turns around, and whenever she falls into the Sundering Sea, he goes down and he rescues her. Yep. And he didn't have to. So there is a little bit of heroicness in Hallbrand. So, one of two things. They're either setting him up to have a major redemption arc where he becomes a hero from being a coward, or they're going to do a flip and he's going to end up being the villain I, or a villain. Like maybe the witch King of Angmar. <laughs> I was like, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's talk about meteor man. No, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready. So Nori's journey, her call to adventure is she's rambunctious. She's all over the place. She shouldn't be. She likes being out on the margins um, when she shouldn't be. And she sees Meteor Man, who crash lands. Uh, you see the nth. I saw somebody uh, mention that there are five cutscenes to where five different instances where you see the fireball, and that that relates to the five wizards. And that that was their theory. Like it was just showing you a general idea of the wizards coming to Middle Earth. Yeah, and that they all arrived. But this one that you're seeing is they're highlighting like the Meteor Man to be Gandalf. Yeah. Who, so, okay. So let me ask you, who do you think Meteor Man is? Right now, just his association with the Harfoot and how it links on later to Gandalf's association with and his love for the Hobbits. I, I, th- at least they're making it out to be Gandalf. Like, I don't see who else it could be. Like, I've heard people say, oh, it's Radagast, it's one of the Blue Wizards, it's even it's Sauron. But to me, I think it makes the most sense that it's, that it's Gandalf. Yeah. Even though Gandalf should not be there, it makes the most sense that it's Gandalf. Yeah. Or like a pre sort of, uh, I don't know how to put it. Like it's sort of a version of Gandalf like before we know him as Gandalf. Like before he's given his name. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably right. I think at this point it's most likely Gandalf. There's a lot of clues there that I think that leads to that. I think one of them is him talking to the lightning bugs. Yeah. Which is very... Even though he's having trouble, like, 
controlling his power right now. Yeah. He's very much settling into his limitations, his the way he's interacting with with the world, like yeah. it being embodied. Yeah, he um, it very much reminds me of Gandalf calling in the moth to his hand and whispering and speaking to it. He's doing the same exact thing with the lightning bugs. And she's like, what's he saying? He's like, she's like, I don't speak lightning bug. I don't speak lightning bug. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what it is. I don't speak firefly. I don't speak firefly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like whenever he's losing control, he's kind of like, uh, like it reminds me of whenever Gandalf like he starts st- to panic almost and, yeah. and they die. Yeah. And whenever he talks and like the trees bend and he's very loud and powerful, it reminds me of Gandalf whenever he's like standing uh, up uh, to Bilbo in the hole. He's like, I'm not. He's like, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. I'm you know, not here to rub you. Yeah. I'm here to help you. Yeah. It reminds me of that. It's just not focused in yet. It's yeah, not he's fine tuned. He's got more control. Yep. Yep. He's not got that control yet. Um, you know, and the other thing too is what it, whatever it is he says in well, this, Quenya, I think it is. Well, you've got to look at what he is. Like if this is Gandalf, he is literally an angelic force. He is a, a Maiar spirit. Like he's basically an elemental spirit. So yeah. he's just being embodied and he's trying to work through what it means now to have this physical, this physical binding. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, Let's see. What was it I was going to say? The, uh, what he's mumbling. The yeah. two words. In Quen, it's, it's in Quenya. I can't remember what they are. I don't have them right in front of me. But um, it translates to something as a... I've heard like, somebody say sacred flame. Yeah. Like sacred flame, sacred fire. What is heat? Um, what is fire? Something along those lines. Something thematically to do with heat and fire. And this is what's going to make me probably punch you in the face because... He was like, what if he's Sauron? Like, and you started making out the case with him with the fire, and like, what if he's a Balrog or something like that? But to me, I think it just shows the association that whoever this guy is, he is a Maiar spirit. Because even Sauron, the Balrogs, they're all Maiar spirits. They all have this association with fire. You even have Gal- uh, Gandalf when he's on the bridge. He's talking about being a servant of the secret fire or the sacred fire. So, I mean, there's... And the ring that he has later, the Elvish ring, is the Elvish ring of fire. So, I mean, there is an association there with Gandalf and fire. So, I mean, just because the Sauron has that same association to me, it just shows their their oneness in being being Maiar spirit primarily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, later on. There's something about the Maiar that's related intrinsically to flame, to fire. um, Even uh, Iluvatar, he's uh, the flame untouchable, flame imperishable like they they describe him as like an unconquered flame yeah well later on gandalf is going to wield the ring of power which is the ring of fire which is the ring naria or naria and it was created by celebrimbor in the second age we haven't got there yet but it was created along with ninja which galadriel's going to wield so spoilers galadriel's going to get even stronger yeah um and uh Vilia. And so after Sauron... And Elrond ends up with that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, what ends up happening is Celebrimbor gives Narya um, to Gilgaled, the High King, uh, and Gilgaled's going to entrust Narya with his lieutenant Serdan, or it's a Cerdan, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm not a, I'm not a ling- linguist. I've heard people call it Círdan. Círdan, yep. um, who is uh, 
lord of the havens of Mithland, and he keeps it after Gilgalad's death. So upon arrival of Gandalf in the Third Age, 1000, Círdan, knowing Gandalf's true nature and duty, gives Narya to aid him in his labors. So later on, that ring of power is going to be passed on down to Gandalf. So the theme of fire... Who is now at this very moment being incarnated, mumbling on about uh, sacred flame. Yeah, what is heat? What is fire? Whatever. Um, So I think you're right. Yep. Um, I did think that there was a little bit of time there where it was maybe Sauron. I'm less convinced of that as I've watched the story. Who knows? Maybe they do a flip. Maybe he is somebody bad. Maybe he teaches. Well, I mean, it doesn't make sense thematically when you talk about... When you see Sauron... Being almost oblivious to the hobbits. Yeah. Later on, like he doesn't, like he doesn't even know they're a thing. Yeah. Almost. So if it makes, it's just odd that if that's Sauron and the the predecessor to the hobbits are the first people he meets, crash landing into Middle Earth again, like it doesn't make sense that he's not aware of them later on. You know what they call him right off the bat? Whenever he's laying there in the crater, a giant. A giant. Yeah. He's a giant on the margins, like the Nephilim. <laughs> He's like, there's a giant, literally like the Nephilim. Literally like the Nephilim. So it would be kind of cool if they ended up doing a flip somehow and getting the biblical symbolism right here. Yeah. And it actually being a bad guy on the margins, a yeah. giant who fought, who's a star falling from heaven. So I'm not a big fan of that. Like, I think they get that symbolism wrong. Like a star falling from heaven. And then in the pictures, he's holding an apple, which is very serpent like. Yeah. In some ways. Um, so who knows? Uh, I think it's more likely Gandalf, but yep. uh, I think it makes the most sense, especially with his connection to the ring of power. But uh, I think they're, Narya I think they're never going to call him Gandalf. No. Like you're going to see his, uh, what's his name? Mithrandir. Or, uh, the one that starts with an O. Uh. Aloran, Aloran, or something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah. Let's see if I can find it. That way we can get it right. Or is that even referenced in the appendices? Or do they not have rights to that either? Is that why he's the stranger and they can't even call him a wizard even maybe at this point? Um, let me, let me see here. I've got the... Are yeah. the Astari even mentioned in the appendices? Um, let's see here. Third Age. Yeah, the Astari or the wizards appear in Middle Earth. Um... Yeah, they're definitely mentioned in the Third Age section in Appendix B. Um, let's see here. Just, I, I, just this point alone, it makes so much sense that if it's that it's Gandalf, just given the the bond and relationship that he has, mm-hmm. and this protective nature he has towards the hobbits in Lord of the Rings, like it's he's going out of his way to make sure the hobbits are kept out of out of the, out of the 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 spotlight, like out of the known light. Like he doesn't even want. People in the outside world even know that they're that they're a thing. Like he he goes out of his way to protect them. Yeah. Well, at this point, I'm I'm skimming skimming through, um, the appendix B in this third age, and let's see. Yeah. Now Gandalf is mentioned by name in it. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it mentions that name in here. Um. So I'm not sure what they're going to do name-wise, but to me... His name just, is Aloran. Yeah. Just, Oleron or yeah, something. Yeah, it just, it just makes more, the most sense that that's Gandalf. I wonder where he's... Uh, if Oleron... Hmm. Let's see if I can find a source for... Uh, see if I can see if it's uh, what book it's in. Because I don't think... I doubt. I highly doubt that it's in the appendix. Let's see... Yeah, to me, just just that point alone. Like, if you cut away everything else, 
just his relationships with the predecessors to the Hobbits. Like, it just makes sense. And it flows nicely with Peter Jackson's, like, depiction of his love for the, the Hobbits later on. Yeah. It makes sense that those were the people that helped him when he first, you know, came to Middle Earth. Like, yeah. he has that bond with them. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, in front of me, I can't find any sources in which that, that name's mentioned. But, you know, maybe it's something that somebody else can do. Some work somebody else can do. Because obviously he had to go by another name before he was given that name. Like, yeah. So, yep. I so, think maybe that's how they get away with it. But, yeah. I don't know. Are you going to be mad if this turns out to be Gandalf and they call him that by name? Well, they do have rights to the name Gandalf. That is in Appendix B. I mean, I just just the fact that he kind of is not supposed to be there. Yeah, so. I don't like it. I don't. I don't like it. To me, there could be worse fan service. I would have rather it had been a Blue Wizard. But I don't know. Because there would have been so much they could have done that would have been real. Yeah, there's so much empty space when it comes to the Blue Wizards. It's yep. so, such a gray area. They could have really explored the Blue Wizards yep. in a way that would have been interesting because Tolkien didn't really talk about them a ton. There would be no op- opposition in the lore because there's l- literally nothing there. That's right. Yeah, I would have rathered it be a Blue Wizard. And maybe but I'll at the same time, there's this... There's this interesting uh, continua- continuation that I like. Yeah. Like you see... Continuity. Yeah, this continuity. You see Gandalf in The Hobbit. You see mm-hmm. Gandalf through Lord of the Rings. And he's this, uh, this uh, guide through, th- to the heroes through all those stories. So it just makes sense that, I mean, to me, that they would throw him in there in that capacity. Yep. So. Yep. So, all right. Well, Richie, we're at an hour and a half. We've basically covered episodes one and two. We have not. We <laughs> haven't even talked about uh, seeing uh, the ship going to Valinor. Oh, yeah, Leo, let's talk about that. Yeah, that's in episode one. Yeah, let's talk about that. What do you think about the ship going to Valinor? To me, that was my favorite scene. Uh, it was my least favorite. <laughs> I loved it. Like, just to see how, it's, how it works. Like, they're sailing towards the sunset. And just just the symbology there. Okay, this is the end. Mm-hmm. This is this is uh, the dimming of the lights. So this is where they're going to retire. Like you even see, like a, a Gladwell describing it as resting in eternal glory. Like she's going there to rest. Uh-huh. So it makes sense that they're sailing toward the sun, the sunset. And the way that it opens up like a door, like it's veiled until ah, the Valar give them permission to enter. Like, it just goes shows you how it's protected. Yeah. Like no, just nobody can stumble onto it out there. Right. So the way that it's open to them, it just feels like it's meaningful. Like it's it's an honor to be to have this realm open to you, and the way that they strip away their armor. I, was, I didn't like that part either. It to me, I love it because I love the scene in uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader in Narnia when you have Reepicheep, and he literally is this. He prides himself. Uh, Aslan even comments on his pride about be, of him being a warrior. Yeah. And and being prideful in that, and when Reepicheep sees Aslan's kingdom, the gate to it, he literally lays his sword down in the sand, and he's like, "I won't be needing this where I'm going." Yeah. So to me, it's a it's a call to that. So I liked it. Like yeah. the, the, they're disarming themselves. Like there's literally no need for war, for swords, for weapons where they're going. Oh, see, my thing is, is why didn't they do it beforehand? Like I didn't like that they had, like the ceremonial servers there disrobing them and taking the armor off. I was like, why didn't you do that beforehand? Like, it would have made sense if you're going to the Undying Lands 
and your service, your term is over. You're going there. To well, to me, it's like they're being presented to the Valar as warriors. So, like they're right. in full armor. Like yeah. these are the warriors. These are the heroes. Yeah. This, these are the ones that are deserving of this honor. And okay, now let's lay their weapons down to rest. Like my they're thing going was, to, were the to serv- rest. were the servers also worthy? Because apparently they're I think getting to they go were to. just in service of the Valar. Like I think that's their that's their purpose. Like yeah. you, we talk about uh, elemental spirits and things having uh, a purpose, like mm-hmm. a function. Yeah. I think maybe their function is to ferry these people back and forth. Yeah, who knows? Maybe. Um, there's so a lot I didn't we don't have know. a pro- so I didn't have a problem with that at all. I also didn't like the big creaky door. I liked it because it shows you that it is a door to be open. It's not something I that agree. Somebody I mean, can stumble into. Right. I li- like I, it's an honor to have this door open to you. I get that. I just didn't like the door noise. The, the door noise. I didn't, I, like liked the, it. I didn't like the noise it made. If the it singing, been, I love that. I did. Li- I like the singing. When the birds came out and enveloped the elves, it just shows mm-hmm. that they were being they were being called into the song, and the elves just immediately pick up on the song. Like they hear the song and then they they sing with it. Yeah. So it's bit taking part, becoming one with this eternity yeah. that's there on the other side. Yep. What else we got to talk about with this? Anything else you just want to bring up? Oh, gosh. There's, I could just ramble on about it all day long. There yeah. is so much to talk about. Well, let's summarize it here at the end. So give me, give me a uh, quick fire. What did you like? What did you not like? Anything that had to do with the elves I loved. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to think of something that that I didn't like besides Galadriel's storyline. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like. I, I don't like so far the uh, love story with Ron one and yeah, Ron. But just because I think that it just doesn't make sense yet. Yeah. If they expand on that, sure, I'm I'm open to it. But it to me, it was just very forced on me at once. Like, the, here's this deep love connection. You not you don't get a reason why. Yeah, I understand that. What was your favorite parts? This, any scenes that had to do with Valinor, the Valar, the elves, just just to be able to see the 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 two trees, um, the Harfoots. I love those. I know you don't like them in particular, but I love the Harfoot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's there's a, a lot that I like about it. Yeah. I'll say this. Um, the things that I really, I'll start with the things that I didn't like, which I've talked about mostly here, but I'll kind of summarize them. The things that I didn't like, as I'm not a big fan of Galadriel's storyline, um, I'm not. I I'm all, I'll just be honest with you. As of right now, I'm just not a real big fan fan of Morphic Clark. I I just don't really like. It. She's probably, in my opinion, the actor the actress or the actor that I dislike the most right now. As maybe that changes as the story goes along, but. I didn't feel convinced by her character. She seemed <clears throat> kind of soulless to me. Now, do you think that she seems so out of character because she is not the Galadriel that we've come to know from Hobbit and Lord of the Rings? I don't like, know. Like, she is not that person yet. Maybe. So, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that's why she doesn't feel right, because she's maybe. not right yet. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But at this point... And it, like, maybe, yeah, maybe it has to do with the character she's playing. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. But as of right now, I'm not a big fan of Galadriel's storyline just because I know her real storyline yeah. in Tolkien. Um, I'm not a real big fan thus far of the Harfoot, but you know, I do like some of what they're doing with them. Um, Josh has just got to be more loving to the whimsical hippies of the series. Uh, yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, I'm not a big. I wasn't a big fan of the the boat scene and the Valinor stuff. Um, as of right now, my favorite storylines is uh, I really like the Elrond storyline and the dwarves. 
real big fan of that one so far. I like the Iran Dear Braun one one so far, just because I'm I'm kind of a fan of some of the things he said. Um, I think that he's probably going into good places. Um, we'll we'll see. Um, now one thing that I think that Peter Jackson really missed out on was he missed a chance to make the orcs frightening. Like he missed a chance to big make fan of the orcs. He he. They just the way that Morgoth and Sauron are described. Like Sauron is this dark, twisted sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Like the it's it's like horrendous atrocities that he's conducting in there, like making the orcs and things like the the things that they do. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just it's blasphemous against against uh, Iluvatar, the Valar. Like I want to see some of that sinister evil like portrayed in the darkness in this series. Oh, I love the scene when it showed Sauron. Yes. He looked menacing. He did. He looked very giant, like Nephilim, other, otherworldly. Yes. Let me say this too. I also love the score, the music. I love the, the cinematics of it. It's gorgeous. I think that if Peter Jackson was doing the cinematics of it right now, it would look very similar. Minus the, the cheap-looking costumes and armor at times and weaponry. Um, but I think that cinematically, it looks great. Um, big fan of that. I loved the Finrod line at the beginning. I loved the Iran Deer line about beauty. Um, I love the world building that's in it, but I'm not a big fan of the big time deviations from Tolkien's lore. And I w- that's how I would sum up my thoughts on it. And because of that, I'd give it a C. Um, For me, I think that given what they had to work with, first of all, I will give it to them that they, I, Absolutely, it was very brazen to take a swing at something that you have no A little too brazen, in my opinion. Well, I mean, if you're going to take a risk, you might as well go. So, I mean, they they had no rights to the Silmarillion, to where the bulk of this this stuff is. They're trying to make the best with what they've been given to work with. So, on that, I think it deserves a pretty good score, just on that alone. And and it's obvious that they're trying to link the lore... In ways, in they, ways that you can, that they can, that you can understand, that yeah. the Tolkien fan is going to look and see, and like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. So I mean, there's an effort there. Yeah. So I mean, with the effort, with what they have to work with, I think they're taking a pretty good swing at it so yeah. far. My opinion is it's probably a little too ambitious. I would rather they probably not. But at the same time, but they, if you're going to do did. it, if they, I mean, but they, they did. done it. They yeah. did, and the reality is, is that they have done it. So you've got to make of it what you will. Yeah. You know, so if if they're if they're going to do it, they at least they're doing a pretty good job so far. But you know, overall, I've enjoyed it so far. I'm going to keep watching it. We'll keep giving our thoughts on it. Let, let's 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 end the episode with this. With the characters that we've met right now, where do you think that their character arcs are going? Where do you think Galadriel's is going? Hopefully, I hope they, I mean, obviously, I think they're going to have to deviate a little bit from sure, the story. Sure, they have to. No, as long as she ends in the same place, I'm okay with it. So you think she's going to end up as the humbling? As long as there's a big humbling and she, yeah. you know. And it's going to, she's going to turn into the person later on in life who's going to turn down power. Well, Amazon acknowledges that that's the thing. I think like you're right. Yep, you're right about that. That's where she's heading. I think, I think so, too. I think that's ultimately where her character's going, which is going to end in the same place. Yeah. Um, okay. What about um, Elrond? Where do you think his character arc's going? I, I mean, like know- what's going so far. Yeah. Like, I like his relationship building with the dwarves. It makes a lot of sense with the way he interacts with them in uh, the, the council right there where they're choosing the Fellowship do and you Fellowship think, of the Ring. And, and, uh, do you think his relationship with the dwarves is going to be restored or strained? Because there is a little strain there between him and the dwarves. 
I think the dwarves are always going to be skeptical of the elves and have that sort of hardness towards them. But I think that uh, Elrond is always going to have a spot, soft spot for Ooh. him. I also love the references to Aule. Yes. Among the dwarves. Aule's beard. Yep. That and this. Talk right. about that challenge being laid down by Aule himself. himself. Yeah. yeah. I really like that. That was a n- nice, nice nod. Yep. Um, let's see. Where do you think Durin's arc's going? Because he's a new character. Well, we don't really know. We don't, we don't know. know. If he, yeah, we don't really know if he's the Durin, you know, listed in the list of, you know, dwarves in the appendixes, or if he's just, you know, what they're doing with the Durin name is a little bit different than what Tolkien did with it. Yeah, the way Tolkien presents Durin is he's, he's this re embodiment. He's this re embodiment, like it's a reincarnation. Yes. He's like a re embodiment of the spirit of the original Durin. Yeah. It's not like it's a, a, a surname that's passed on. No. Yeah. So they're doing that differently, it seems. So, what do you think about him? Where do you think he's going to go? So far, I really like his character. Like, he seems strong in and of himself. I think that, uh, I don't know. What do you think? I'm thinking that he's going to probably, by the end of the thing, um, probably end up as king of Khazad-dûm. That's what I think. Um, I don't know. That's my take. I think he's probably going to sometime... uh, I'm trying to scroll through the appendixes here. Um, Let's see here. Let's see. We've got um, Durin the Deathless uh, in the First Age. Then we've got Durin the... Let's see. This is the line of the dwarves of Erebor who set out... uh, Wait. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Mm, Nope. No, that's the dwarves of Erebor. I was looking for the dwarves of uh, Khazad-dûm. So, eh, that's not going to help me as much as I thought it was. Um, yeah, I can see him probably, perhaps, maybe, maybe he will be a reincarnation of, of Durin, or maybe a re-embodiment of Durin by the end of the thing. I don't know. Um, we'll see. There's so, other characters that I'm more confident that I know where they're going, around about where they're going. His, at this point, I, I don't really know where he's going at this point. Um, but I think that probably by the end of it, he'll probably be a really confident and competent king, I'm assuming. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, his father looks to be pretty old and wise, um, and skeptical of, of the elves. So, um, let's see here. Some of the other characters. Um, where do you think, this is an interesting one. I think, where do you think? Well, I mean, uh, Go ahead. you talk about the relationship between the dwarves and the elves. I mean, what about the, uh, the East Gate, the uh, the gate right there that you see in Moria. Yeah. I mean, isn't that a gate that's presented to them by Celebrimbor? Yep. So, I mean, that just goes to show you, like... Yeah, there's going to be some interaction there's there. There's going to be a friendship that's, yep. re- that's established Well, there's there, going to so. be rings for the, the Dwarf Lords, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, in their halls of stone. So, that's going to be a thing. They are going to get paid. Yeah. Handsomely. Um, so, yep. Um, I think Durin maybe ends up as king by the end of the whole shebang, uh, probably a confident and confident one. Um, I could be wrong, but I, that's where I think he's But going. I think even in uh, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, you see that Elrond has a softness for the dwarves, like an understanding for the dwarves. And I think that, that falls nicely with his friendship with Durin here now. Okay. Um, what about the Harfoot? Where do you think they end up? I mean, we kind of know. I hope they settle. They show them settling into the area that come, becomes the Shire. Yeah. And 
they sort of morph into the hobbits that we know. I mean, thankfully, we kind of know where most of these people are going. It's interesting, though, that you show the, the hobbits are, they have, they're, more, they're very, like, centralized on home. Like, they, they know where they belong. Yeah. And, and the Harfoot, they're, they're migrants. They have no settlement. Yep. And that's very anti-Hobbit. It is. Very. So it's interesting, that character arc, that development right there. Yeah, they're going to turn into that. Yeah. So we know where they're going. Um, here's a character we don't know where they're going. What about Theo? Where do you think Theo's going? I have no idea. Like, to me, there's nothing been presented about him so far that leads me to think He's obviously anything. being led astray by Sauron. Yeah. By, at least by a blade that belongs to Sauron and his crew. I'm thinking one of two things. He either becomes some big-time follower of Sauron at some point in his life, or perhaps he's redeemed somehow. Like, he does, he falls into the darkness, and maybe somehow he's pulled out. Yeah. Maybe there's a sacrifice somewhere. Who knows? Maybe a Rondir, maybe Bronwyn, who knows? Um, I think that, that Bronwyn and Arondir are going to... I think to, Bronwyn is going to die. I'm they're going to have to... I think they have to end in tragedy. Yeah, something's going to happen. To keep with the theme and to keep Theo from falling into the darkness he's obviously being pulled look into. How, look what happens to Aragorn with Arwen. Like, she yep. literally... He dies and she goes to Lothlorien and basically lays down and gives up her life. Yeah. Look what happens to Tariel when Keeley dies. Yeah. So, um, those, those, those interracial relationships in the past have all ended in tragedy. In tragedy. Yep. Even Baron and Luthien, look at that. Yep. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see. Um, Homeboy on the Raft. What was his name again? Albrand. Hallbrand, where do you think he ends up? Hopefully, back in the ocean, as, <laughs> as the the piece of uh, non canonical trash that he is. Oh, goodness. like I do not like his character at all. Yeah, to me, it is a waste. One of two things. Same with Theo. The first, I've already seen it hinted that this romantic, at least he has an attraction to Galadriel. Oh, it's already. If been... it's reciprocated, if they make a swing at that, I will rage. And not because Galadriel's my wife, but because it's just ridiculous. That's definitely going to be a thing, for sure. I'm a certain of it. And um, I think Hallbrand uh, ends in one of two ways. Either he becomes a virtuous man who's not cowardly. He's and, going to aid in the fall of New And he, be- he becomes courageous, or he's a big-time villain, one or the other. Maybe Witch King, I don't know, somebody, something. Uh, maybe Anatar himself. Josh. Which I saw that Anatar, I think, I think Anatar was mentioned in here. I, I maybe um, let me see in Appendix B. That's the Brandy Bucks. Um, let's see. That's Queen of Numenor, Second Age, Sauron. Alarmed by the growing power of the Numenors, chooses Mordor. His land to make into a stronghold. He begins the building of Barad-dûr. Okay, so we know what's going on in Mordor. Yep. He's probably aware of what's going on in Numenor, so he's concentrating his power down in the Southlands. Um, yeah, that's probably a good idea of what's going on. That's probably part of the arc of the people in the South. And then it also makes sense of why you think the uh, symbol looks like Mordor. Yeah. Like the, any follower of Sauron, any any persons that's turned to the heart of darkness they could look at that symbol and then look at a map of middle earth and literally see that symbol 
in the mountain range, in the layout of Mordor, where Sauron is now gathering his forces. Yeah. Mm, I'm looking here, and uh, I'm still yet glancing through Appendix B in the Second Age, and I'm pretty sure, now don't, don't hold me to this, but as of right now, I do not see um, Sauron named as Anatar. As of right now, what I'm seeing here, starting at year one, going all the way down to year 3441, uh, 3, every mention of Sauron is as Sauron and well, not Anatar. So I mean, <laughs> he's probably not going to get introduced as the character of Anatar. If you're going to make the assertion that Halbrand could be uh, a manifestation of Sauron... He does say he's from the South. Then you could absolutely go back and say, okay, well, uh, the... Uh, the the stranger is Sauron putting on a show to Middle Earth, like to be presented as like okay, almost like he's anticipating the coming of the Maiar, or the or the. What if he's been? To, what if he's been to Numenor already? He's out floating in the Sundering Seas. Maybe he's already been. Maybe he's already checked out Numenor. Maybe that's what he's doing, and maybe that's why he says he's from the south. Like he's out in the I Sundering. Don't know about that. He's out in the Sundering Sea. Maybe he's got a glimpse of Numenor. Maybe he's doing some reconnaissance work. And he says he's from the south. Maybe he's also from the south, and he's gathering his forces down there in Mordor. Maybe, maybe uh, Hallbrand is Sauron because I don't think no. they can use. I'm pretty sure, as of right now, the irony that it would be Sauron, and he's literally right under Galadriel's nose, and Galadriel forms this oh, alliance of friendship it would be with him. So it would, it be would be so. Oh my gosh, that would be the humbling she needs, thinking she can detect evil, and she's hunting the the evil, and she knows who the evil is. And it's right there under her nose the whole time. That's my bet. That's my bet right no, there. That's no, my bet. I don't want it to be true. That's no. my bet because I'm glan I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm glancing through this right now, and I'm certain that they cannot use the name Anatar. It is I'm certain unless it's somewhere else. I shouldn't have said anything. No. Unless it's somewhere else in here. Um well no, it doesn't matter if it's somewhere else in here. Um if I'm looking at the timeline here. The, word, the name Anatar is not in Appendix B, and that's the timeline that they're using, unless it's in somewhere else in the appendices. That would make a great storyline, though, that if, if Albrandt, like, so formed this... So blinded yeah. by anger and pride... That Sauron's literally under, under her, her nose, nose as an alliance helping her, that she thinks is helping her in the hunt. She for, rejects the Valar, and the first person she comes across is Sauron, and she doesn't even know it's him. I can't with that. Oh man, I would there's be some so irony mad. There. It would be so the irony would be amazing. But that's my bet right now. My bet <laughs> is that Hallbrand is Sauron. They can't he they can't use him as Anatar because he's not in the appendices. He's in the other stuff. I would say that that's you know that's a retcon later on in Tolkien's work. I would bet. I don't know that for sure. Somebody well, else then you can, can absolutely have to go back and and leave the door open that the stranger could be Sauron. Too much. He's too much. I think with him. I think he, it's pretty clear he's Gandalf. Well, I mean, to me, it's... I think I they're playing know. games. I think the, the whole show of the fireball in the sky, making a point that all the races saw it, like, to Sauron could then be like, yeah, I come from the Valar. Like, I'm an, an emissary from the Valar. Like, I'm here to help. Like, to, to me, it's, there's a sinister element to that, that he could present himself like that, almost as a, an Astari member themselves, like one of them. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. We'll see. How ironic would it be for Hallbrand to save Galadriel, knowing this is the woman who's hunting him. 
And he's going to do it anyway. Can you anyway. imagine the reveal because at he, the end? Yeah. Like, that would be the thing that humbles Galadriel. Like, hey, evil yep. was right underneath my nose and I didn't know he it. He even saved me. Yep. He even saved me. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That's no. my That's my bet. No, Josh. No. <laughs> that's my bet. My no. bet is that Hallbrand is Sauron. Because they can't use the name Anatar if he's not in the appendices. And as I, as I... As of right now, I don't think that he is. Somebody else can, can uh, skim well, I mean, through it's not out of the realm of possibility. Sauron is a shapeshifter. So, I mean, yep. he literally changes form a few times. So, I guess we'll see. But, I, oh gosh. I'm going to be so mad if that turns out to be the case. But Which also I, makes sense of why you get the androgynous being that we see in the, the trailers. When he's presented to the elves. Right. You get the androgynous being that's clearly not Sauron. Because they can't use Anatar. It would make sense. Make a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense than saying that's Sauron, that's Anatar. No, this is some somebody who's probably working for him. And, and I think there's a lot to say that uh, the creators of the show are banking on the Tolkien fan base, uh, their belief that they're going to be able to nail down evil when they see it. Like, I think so. That they're going to be like, I th- we're going to, when we see Sauron, we're going to know it's Sauron. Yeah. Like, there's going to be no doubt. Like, we're going to know before the characters know yeah. that this is Sauron. And how awesome would it be if we think this guy's like a nobody the whole time and it turns out to be Sauron right under Galadriel's nose? Yep. Like, if you want a humbling moment for Galadriel, that yep. is it right there. Yep. That's my bet. Um, who else do we got here as characters? I think that's it. In the first so two episodes. So far, I think that's it. The, the main characters. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's this week's edition of The Wandering Wizard, then. Is that two hours on the... It's two hours. Two hours, a big mega episode of The Wandering Wizard this, this time Completely around. nerding out. Yeah. Probably going to get some more of these coming up since Rings of Power is now out. Um, so we'll be balancing those out with um, Sword and Staff episodes as well. Um, we'll probably come back in a few weeks, maybe review episodes three and four. Yeah, let's do it like that. Because yeah, otherwise, it's going to take up every week. Like, there's going to be an episode a week through October. Yeah. And we can't really yeah. dedicate yeah. that to that. Yeah, we can't do an episode weekly of Wandering Wizards. So we'll, we'll just pr- try, probably do them two episodes at a time, come back. That way we can get Sword and Staff episodes in in between. So, um, okay. Well, Richie, do you got anything else? to say before we sign off i do we were planning on recording two episodes today mm-hmm. we were going to record an episode on travis walton you all know his story from the movie fire in the sky and it's about alien abduction and we were going to cover betty and barney hill all of which will be next week now yep we're going to talk about uh the abduction phenomena experience in general and should be good and maybe do a little connection to that to some biblical stuff with the watchers that's absolutely so that's a given so we'll see how that goes and we hope you guys are excited about that we hope you're excited about the upcoming episode of the wandering wizard on episodes three and four and uh if you want more content head on over to our patreon at www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order for just five dollars a month you can get the sword and staff uncut where you get all kinds of extra exclusive content you get you know, access to all sorts of things that other people don't get access to. Um, we also uh, have uh, merch boxes that are going to be going out. We're actually next weekend gathering some of the materials for the first box. Yes. Right, I Richie? know people have been asking about that in the Discord. Let's talk about that too, yeah. real quick. People are asking if they will be able to buy the boxes separately while also uh, not being a patron like a the to top a, to tier a certain tier to a certain tier and the plan we, was yes yes the plan is yes we are planning on making those available 
to anybody who wants to buy them. So those will be available to you. People at that tier will automatically get them, but that's right. There's going to be. We thought about doing a pre-order. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yep. So we'll we'll try to set that up to where you guys can pre-order them. And uh, the first box that's going to be going out is going to be a West Virginia Cryptids box. Our families are several of us. You, uh, my you, my family, uh, Ward, his family, Travis Turner, his family. All of us are going to Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia next weekend. We're going to do a little bit of stuff here and there while we're there. Yep. We're also going to gather materials from the Mothman Museum and other places there just at the festival to use to fill these first boxes with. We've got a lot of cool gear, stuff like that going out. Who yep. knows what we're going to throw in it so far. Yeah, um, We've got some plans for them, but that's what you're going to get. You're going to get some West Virginia cryptids. Straight from the Mothman Museum, straight from the point uh, from the Mothman Festival in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So if you can't be there in person, we will send it to you. Yep. So uh, be excited for that. These will be available to people who want them, who are not uh, at our fifty dollar tier on Patreon. Um, and so, but yeah. Also follow us on social media: www.facebook.com/backslash/swordandstafforder on Instagram at swordandstafforder on Twitter at swordandstaff. WV, um, we have a Discord. Um, it's the Sword and Staff Multiverse server. You can find a link to that on our website at www.swordandstafforder. Those are Sword and Staff. Sword and Staff. Dot net. Thanks. Yeah. What it is? Sword and Staff. Dot net. We also got blog posts on there. We've got some probably coming up here soon. Richie told me to hold him accountable and make him write once a once a week. Where's yeah. the blog post at, buddy? Listen. Now that I'm going back, Richie is officially going back to school. Oh, so, you're telling everybody. I'm telling everybody. Right. Richie's going back to school. So Richie has more time from work okay. to sort of do the blog articles now. Richie is going to classes. get a an he's going to get a PhD in sketch. A PhD in sketch. He's going to get a PhD in the paranormal studies. So I, listen, I wish. Yeah. No. He's not doing that. But he is going back to school, so um there should be some more blog posts. Um, dropping soon. Um, yep. and we got anything else? Not that I can think of. Not that I can think of either. All right, guys. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this week's edition of The Wandering Wizard, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. See you then. See you. Tomorrow comes, I will be 